You're listening to the Ron and Fez show on the virus. Whoa! Hi, Ron. We were just, the great Ron Bennington is in studio. We were just about to hand the reins over to you because we're running out of time. Why we're running into your time. Today? Is there, I'm waiting for my photo. Oh! <laughs> was, yes. Ron, I don't know if you knew this, but it's Lady Gaga Day. Yeah, now yeah. I do remember that it's Lady Gaga Day, although everyone is all cleared out down stairs there's yeah. just like some confetti and stuff down there. <laughs> left over a couple of signs that are laying it is it was like bye bye birdie here today though huh it was yeah. just it was enormous and and jim like was stressed out at the beginning of the show he was fine mm -hmm. but he was getting his picture around 9 9 30 so around 8 8 15 is when you know it really started to take when over i the, stand i don't sit right it started to take over his brain and like whenever there was a lull in conversation Jim brought up something Lady Gaga related because right. it, yes. it was there. Now, uh, I heard she played here today, too. Yeah, she songs. did two songs yeah, on I'm Howard. So jealous. I would love, that's one thing I would love to, not even, I, I would just love to sit in a room and watch her play. Well, it's you know, when, she, when she's by herself with the piano, that's my favorite she's stuff great, right? that she does. Yeah, that, that by far, I like that so much better than the dance yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Because she has that kind of a 70s, it's like an Elton, early Rod Stewart. Absolutely. I mean, she's got the whole singer-songwriter thing down. But that's what I guess she did today. It was just her and the piano, right? Yeah, it was her. She did uh, two Hair? songs from the new album. Hair and what else? Uh, Something The single. It's yeah. uh, the one with Clarence in it. Oh, the uh, the Edge of Glory. Edge of Glory, yeah. So that was the last thing that uh, Clarence ever did. It was. After all those years with Springsteen. Wow. The, he filmed the music video for Edge of Glory, and that was it. Do you think she pushed him too hard? Yes. I think so. I mean, she's a workhorse yeah. herself, and, you know, she expects perfection out of the people around her. I didn't know that. She yeah. Yeah. Like, like Bruce lets him sit down in the chair and perform, and she made him stand up. Yeah. yeah I yelled racial epithets. Yep. Yeah, and called him a lazy, you know. And that's going to stress. See, that's yeah. awful. It's yeah, it's terrible. terrible. Made more costumes and whatnot. I like when anybody will do something out of the way because I don't know whether you guys are familiar with the great Solomon Burke, the soul singer from the 70s. He always sang in a chair because he was such a large man. But when he came out with the stones, he walked out with a cane and was trying to do this big 600-pound And everybody flip out? Place went crazy. Yeah. And then he gave his cape over to Mick Jagger and almost killed him because it was a large man's cape. <laughs> the weight of the cape. So these are the things, these are the moments in rock where you're like, this is perfect. Well, Clarence gave the Gaga. Now Gaga has to give on to another generation. So that's the torch being passed right yes, there. We saw it. That's what has to happen. And one day there'll be some pop star and Lady Gaga will be on Robot. The probably it'll be a robot. Yeah, another 15, they'll probably make a video years. game out of it or yes, something. It'll go directly into that. Yeah. Well, listen... I'm sure you got a lot of Gaga talk to do on your own. I really, uh, I think I'm done. I that's think that's it. everything I needed to do was okay. right here. You got that. Did you guys test. have any other guests today, or was it all just about Gaga? We didn't have any guests today. We had no guests at all. We had a couple topics here and there, but it yeah, was because it would be ridiculous to focus on anything but the biggest pop star in the world today. Right. Gotcha. She was right down the hall from us. She was sexy too, man. She's really sexy in person. Do you know that she used to be at pianos when we used to sometimes do parties down there and stuff, and we never oh, really? paid any attention? <laughs> this is only about 2005. Yeah. 2000, you know what I mean? So, remember the famous pianos? Yeah, of course. That Danny did? Yeah. Danny? Uh, I thought that was Baby Girl. I, I meant Baby Girl. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so that was about the same time that she was there, and then our listeners would go there, drink, and not pay any attention to what was going on around them. And you know, a couple years later, people were throwing themselves in the street. Where's pianos? 
uh, Lower East Side. Oh, well, yeah. But, of course, everybody that ignored her at piano. It's just like, yeah, I liked her when she was I back at piano. Yeah. I was a big fan back then. So well, I've now been on I'll, this. I'll tell Nasus that I used to see her down there. I go, <laughs> please, don't even start out. Yeah. I was a huge fan from way Did back. Did you used to see her down there? No. Yeah. I don't have any recall, though. But, you know, sometimes she sings in the Oak Room and does old jazz. That's up uh, right on Central uh, Park South. So she'll go in there and do, like, these jazz standards. It's a kind of uh, I don't know, she'll drop, like, a share vibe. Yeah. When she does that, you know? So she goes, like, uh, unannounced? Unannounced. She's friends with uh, either, like, the trumpet player or something. And she just drops in. It's like you at the cellar, just boom, Jesus comes in, no big deal, mm-hmm. and then boom, out again. For the love of the game. For, For the love of the game, her, that's what man. it's all about. I'd love to date her. I think, yeah. it, you Ugh. think, that, did, did you pick up on something when it took No, <laughs> yeah, like, the, the, the indifference I would have if someone took a photo of me in a rock right. was, the, was the same reverence all she right, paid me. so not 100% bad. But Ooh. I'm dirty, so she would like me, she would hate my body, because I'm fucking... Disgraceful. Don't she, put yourself down. I mean, it's, it's accurate, though. Yes. I have to. I have to pay an accurate picture. Uh, she would like the fact that I'm into piss and sweat and all this gross stuff that she probably is into. She would like that about me. Yeah, but what if you started dating her and you found out she was just a normal girl? This was all an act. She's not weird at all. I wouldn't believe it because uh, if, as long as she had the vagina that I think she has, I wouldn't care if she oh. was if she was a fucking a Mormon. I would I would go with it. And by that you mean meaty. Now, by yeah. Uh, yeah, the way that you're saying this, though, you're acting like if you say that you're something that you're not. Mm-hmm. See, I, I disagree. I think if you put on the act, you become that's it? the person that you are. And that's just not me saying that. That's Kurt Vonnegut, which will come <laughs> up later today in an Unmasked, as I explained that to Paul Provenza. But the what thing is, like, if you play the character of Manson, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just saying I'm Marilyn Manson, that's who you are. You're Marilyn Manson. You know, you can't hide it then behind all oh, that's just a stage character. Right. You know? That's true. Yeah, I guess it dep- if you spend more of your life being a character than you did the person you were before the character. Even if you don't. Even if you just say, I go on stage, this is how I present myself, and this is how I think, that's also you. How is Provenza? Oh, did you not talk to him yet? Or you just- no, I did. And he was good? Uh, I thought he was terrific. He's a really, really smart guy. Cool. And uh, this was actually... Uh, the unmasked that we did over the weekend, but I'm going to play it again today. But, uh, yeah, he is. He's a bright guy. And he's got it into his own scene now. He's like, he did a bunch of Hollywood stuff years ago, and he's like, whatever. Now I'm just going to do what I want to do. Now they're doing that green room show, which they had me booked on and then canceled me. And never rebooked me. Why they don't like you either? Don't know. But I know that when they wanted to come on and promote on Opie and Anthony, you could bet who vetoed that to me. <laughs> nope. So proud of myself. We don't forget, do we? The little little petty vecin vengeances. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I know he likes you, though. I think he likes me, too, on, on a personal level. He brought level. it up. Oh, but you think, you think Showtime was behind? Or just me. another exec producer. I don't think it was Paul personally. Yeah. Because I think he does. No, he said he's a fan. He told me he's a fan. He likes what you're doing. Yeah. It was actually even in his, he does this book of, like, interviews. And um, I'm trying to think of who he, he was bringing you up of, somebody that he likes to keep his eye on. Oh, it was Janine Garofalo when those two were talking. Oh, really? Yeah. He said that you're doing, you're in your own scene right now, and you're doing your own thing, and it's very, very cool. Oh, thank so, you. And then I said to him, well, then why did he nix you off the ONA show? <laughs> I don't think, no, I I don't think Janine likes me. 
I haven't really no interaction with Garofalo except for Tough Crowd. Mm-hmm. We did one of the pilot episodes in 2002, and she thumbs down me when I attacked Rosie. Yeah, I think I think that if she it wouldn't be based on comedy; it would just be based on politics. If she doesn't like you, yeah. Or also, my comedy's probably too mean for her. What she interprets as mean. Yeah. I, I'm guessing. I haven't. I mean, I saw her at Bonnaroo a couple years ago. We said hello. Do you ever question your act? Whether or not when 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 you hear when you get the sense that people don't like you because of your act. Does it ever make you question your act? Like, maybe I should lighten up? It's not paranoid to say that the politics of your act or the tone of it or what you attack does affect it. Because mm-hmm. on Tough Crowd, we attacked a lot of things that they didn't really want to attack mm-hmm. as much on Comedy Central, and that did affect things. I know it did. I'm not a paranoid... Like, look at the things that people get in trouble for, or what Tracy had to apologize for, right. and what other comics don't have to... Yeah. It all depends on what people in Hollywood see as being rebellious. Uh, they see still they still see attacking the church as being like a maverick, but it's not right. 1965. Nobody gives a fuck anymore. But you've never had the urge to change no. what you do. No. to try to get more success. No, I look back at like I hate your guts, and I think like, eh, man, some of that was a little bit mean. Like I wish I hadn't attacked Hillary Clinton as hard, mm-hmm. and I suffered no repercussions. Nobody cared. I just kind of wish I didn't. Just on like a personal level, now that you've had a chance to think about it more, you mean? Yeah, because I saw that you put that. Uh, Twitter up uh, that E-Rock had interviewed you yes. and then you replayed it where you were like the war's over fuck yeah. all the hippies I thought it was great that you put it up but then on the other I end, didn't put it up but I just someone t- I just retweeted oh. it well I thought it was great that you said look check this out I was fucking wrong here sure because that's you know being a real performer it's not saying oh I'm the smartest fucking person who ever lived yeah I've been right all along. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you ever want to be the kind of person who doesn't change your mind. That would be fucking insane. Of course. Comedians who get obsessed with being right are not funny. They're pompous and they're preachy. I I bat 500 like every other dumbbell in the fucking building. Half the times I'm right, half the times I'm wrong. All you got to do is be honest. It's Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I was wrong. I thought the war was over. I bought it and I was like, fuck everybody. You were wrong. And you know what? They were right and I was wrong. How can I deny that? But I thought the other thing that was great is, and this must have been like eight years old, is how much your inflections have changed. Like, you're just speeding yeah. through, like, an interview, just, you know, yeah. repeat, and I'm like, wow. Because everybody always pays attention to the way people, like, change physically. But if when you work in radio, if someone gives you old tapes, and you're just like, oh, I can't fuck yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> what is that, is, I doing then? Is that because we had been off the air for so long that you... No, it's just your, your personality is different in those days. You you feel like you have to get things out quicker when you're younger. And then, you know, once you've been around this, you're, you're in no real hurry. Yeah. And I'd done a lot less interviews at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was happy that I had something going on finally with Tough Crowd. I really was. I really wanted to throw myself out the window. I was, like, manically depressed when we got kicked off the air. So, like, it was a big deal when you got the call that the sex bagel wanted to interview you. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um, but I was happy that somebody was talking to me. It was yeah. my first time in the market. And I think I wasn't drawing at all in West Palm. I had terrible crowds. Like, small. Eric, was that an exciting day for you? Very exciting. West Palm represent? Yes. Nice. Did you come to the show? Yeah, I went to the show. Was it funny? Yeah, Jim was great. Good. Yeah, I look back on my old stuff, and I'm just like, oh, I Only now he won't come to the show. Then he was always <laughs> yeah, happy to. Yeah. Now it's like, he's jaded. Fuck yeah, this guy. He's awful. He's over it. All right, well, it is Ryan Fez time. Yes, it is. Uh, they got a lot of Gaga talk to get to. You got your picture? Is it done? I haven't gotten it yet, because yeah. the woman from Sirius, who's a good photographer, took it. So I'm hoping just to get on a dinner. But I, I hate when they send me files that are like 125 megabytes. It's like, right. give me the fucking... What, what? 
It like, should be about two megabytes. Oh, two megs. I'm sorry. What's the smaller one? Uh, KB kilobytes. KB. Yeah, I, I want a big picture. You want a giant picture? I want a fucking file that I can blow up. Right. You know, I hate that because it pixelates. Yeah. So I'll let you know tomorrow. I can't wait. Well, me neither. <laughs> Loves it. She was fucking turning me on, man. The little, like, fucking plastic leather outfit. Yeah. It's either plastic or leather. Is this all you wrote, uh, wore for her? The Got Mule? Sure, you didn't have anything. You, you didn't think, yeah, that's a good. You didn't leathery. think to yourself, oh, today's the day I'm supposed to get the picture. What will I wear? I Me did, but <laughs> does it matter? <laughs> I did think about this. I actually chose this. <laughs> well, the so Gaga would be like, hey, that's a really witty. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what, what is that? Yeah, come on the tour bus. Yeah, what does that get? What does that mean? Well, you know what's funny? You should say that, Steph, because I thought it was a mule as in a penis, but it turns out it was a government mule shirt at Bonnaroo. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I was doing comedy. Uh, yeah, but it didn't happen that way. She didn't was, go down. Put her arm out. I stood there, and she couldn't have gotten away faster. Because you thought that would charm her. I bought a T-shirt of a band because I thought it meant penis. Yeah, right. I thought that'd be very charming. <laughs> Just dropping the name yeah. Bonnaroo would be all. Exciting. Oh yeah, I was a Bonnaroo. I don't yeah. know if you've heard. I should have put my who farted hat on. I <laughs> thought I was really interesting. And funny because if there's one thing that you could always tell a guy who's funny if his t-shirt is funny yeah, yeah. you know if his t-shirt gives you a laugh this is a funny guy i would have had more integrity if i just walked up to her and pointed out it went hey? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think yeah should have worn a gaga t-shirt yeah look at her she's yeah. cracking up my best i really am gervais from the office yeah. just a fool. it's always best too when you meet a performer that says your music saved my life i think yeah it yeah. saved my life. <laughs> you have no idea what you did for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nice to meet you. It really is. I had a guy cry when he met me one time. Me and Kenny were in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And a guy at the end of the show with his wife came up and he's just crying. I was so happy to meet you. I've never had that before yeah. or since. Thank God. Well, it's weird. You get those kind of emails when you work in radio because people listen to you every day. But you get that. I, you know, you were the only person there for me all through my oh, brain yeah. cancer. It's like, uh, I'd rather keep it anonymous. What's even better is this guy comes up to Norton crying, saying, you saved my life. If there had been another celebrity that was above Norton in the room, he was, yeah, great, 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 trying to get a picture with the celebrity instead of this guy who's crying over uh, him. Believe me, that's the, human, that's the part that I really, I really would have brushed him and his tears aside. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, right. Blow your nose, I'll be over in a minute. This is just obsession stuff with you, though? It's like... Part of it, yeah. yeah with her, it's like, I'm genuinely a fan, like, I like her. Yeah. But a lot of it is obsessive, and it's become a thing. And the way I look at it is sometimes I get, like when Diana Ross blew me off for a photo, like I got, I got like a bit out of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't get a bit out of it. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a moment that means nothing, and other times it becomes something funny. Other, you know, but it's always a moment in life that you can or can use if it's, if it's worth using on stage. My favorite, quite a bit. My favorite moments are the ones, they happen every now and then around here, but they'll also happen, like, we're going out to Comic-Con again this week. Ugh. And uh, it'll happen around there where there are a lot of celebrities milling about, so you never know. So Norton will say, who's that guy? Is that guy famous? Oh, yeah. And then, and then <laughs> the, you have to oh, tell. Oh, he has oh, one he? Of, of Jimmy with, I think, Wavy Gravy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, Should I get a picture? Goes, Who is it? <laughs> After one, Wavy Gravy. What a stupid name. <laughs> After yeah. the guy walks away. It's funny. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I, when I do, I, like, a lot of times I'll interview people, like, for the ESPYs that we don't use, or from when I interviewed all the jockeys from uh, the, the Kentucky right. Derby for Leno, and I'll have the tech guy give me a screen grab. Of every person I interviewed, even if we don't use them. Just I in case. Yeah, because it's hard to get photos when you're doing a film thing. You're right. like an asshole posing for a picture. It's also funny because you always, Norton always says, like, for me, I always think that getting a picture at the end of it is like a letdown because you're like, this person doesn't give a shit who right. I am and he just took a picture. Whereas Norton, he says, 
that he'll take a picture with a celebrity, and then if the celebrity tries to talk to him after the picture is taken, Norton's like, we're, like we're done. Like that was all I right. wanted. This, no interest. <laughs> this interaction's done. No interest. Obi tells a story of when I was I was doing a Tonight Show once, and Ben Affleck was the lead guest. So he just came into the dressing room, my dressing room, to say hi, and. uh I'm like, oh, hey, can we take a picture? He's like, yeah, yeah sure. And that just kind of ended the conversation. Like, I have no interest in them as people. Like, I don't want to be their friends or go to the movies, but there's no need for it. And you weren't upset that What you do you do the with the pictures, though? Just keep them. Yeah. You know, what, 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 is a, what, is a, what does a, a murderer do with a hooker's driver's license? <laughs> just looks at it once in a while. <laughs> runs his fingers over it. But do you, when you look at it, do you think, ah, oh, what a life I've lived? Sometimes I do, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm prone for depression. Right. And it's almost like, it's like a, it's a very visual reminder of, hey, you dumb fuck. You have a fun life. Shut up. Mm. It's like a way of kicking myself in the ass. Like, you idiot. You're like living like a giant child. What are you complaining about? I just have this picture of you... And you're all depressed, and you're in like some kind of a silk robe, <laughs> drinking a martini. <laughs> and finally, you put the pictures up, huh? Oh yeah, it's very, but, it's like getting very Gloria Swanson after a while. <laughs> when that depression kicks in, though, and you you feel better looking at your pictures, if you find somebody that's got a better picture collection than you, or has a picture, I don't with think the, there is one. Oh, there is. But if like you find somebody with a picture with some of the presidents, do you go, oh, I fucking suck again? Like you're no, back in that depression? No, because they're not. I mean, I'm not in that circle. It's like I, I I would love to have those pictures, but they're uh -huh. hard to get, and I know how people get them. Like I know I know a couple people that have Obama photos, but they wrote for Seth uh, Meyers when he did the correspondence did it, or they wrote for Wanda when she did it. Or you know, yeah. those are hard photos to get. And I'm not in those circles. Fifteen hundred. It'll cost you fifteen hundred to go to any of those dinners, and you get a free picture with them. Yeah, yeah. That's when you see like, oh, fifteen hundred dollars a plate, Republican, whatever. And those, all those people stand in line, and they're basically buying a picture with the president. Oh, I didn't know that they all got pictures. Yeah. Well, it depends on if you got to be in the whatever seal, or you know what I mean. But there's certain ones that come with you get a moment. Probably thirty thousand a plate. I would say yeah. more than fifteen. No, no, no. <laughs> you'd be surprised. It's really not all that expensive. And it really is just a signing. It kind of is a signing, yeah. I mean, like, you're really not there for the chicken, and yeah. he says a short speech, you get it done. And then, you know, the thing is, if you're in Iowa, and you've got a picture of you next to the president in your fucking insurance place, but it's, it's going to impress the hayseeds. It's like going to a baseball card store to meet Pete Rose. It's not that different, no. Yeah. But they raise, you know, ridiculous amounts of money. Both parties run the same gimmick. The only problem is, is that if you ever do it, they never leave you alone again. They just... Ask for it over. Oh, and over I got you. Because you're suddenly the rube that they know they can hit up for cash. Now, do you have a? Uh, is there a great white whale still out there for you that you? Someone's picture that Ali. you need to have. Ali, Muhammad Ali. That's a smart call. And I have uh, besides a president, obviously. Uh, I, I know people who know Ali pretty well, so I'm trying to get an interview with his wife. Um, I would love to interview her. Because, you know, he'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to be Ali. Now, have you ever met a standing president while they're president? I have not. I've never met any president. Um, no, governors as high as they regard. There's no bigger excitement level. Like all interviews, because it's about comedy, something that I love. is going to mm -hmm. be right in the middle of my own biography, so it'll all fit in together. They all, they all meld together. In fact, when I interviewed uh, Joan Rivers... I, I was overwhelmed by how obsessive she is. You know, she, I mean, she's completely yeah. obsessed with her career and with her work. She's very driven. She's very, very funny, and she's an adorable woman. She's very, right. very sweet. And when I got through interviewing her, I sat down and wrote my chapter on obsession. Right. So they they inspired me in many ways. I was 
I was putting them in my story, but they were also helping me with my story. And uh, when I interviewed them, I thought, I'm not going to have a list of questions because I hate that when somebody yeah. keeps looking down at a piece of paper. So I thought, I, there are three questions I want to ask. Who was funny in your life? And that was mo- most family members. Um, when did you two stood up and glared at me? All the Secret Service guys just turned into like bad attack dogs and just fucking glared at everyone that was in the room. Like, I want to see anyone fuck up. Right. It was wow. the weirdest shit. I mean, you literally could feel electricity in the air. Well, they're protecting the biggest target on Earth. Right. I mean, maybe the Pope would be as But, I mean, they're, they're literally protecting somebody that a lot of people really right. yeah. want to kill. And if it, if it fucks, <laughs> if they fuck up or anything, they're in history for fucking up. And that day, uh, it was Ron Diaz and myself. We had to do introductions and stuff. And we were supposed to exit stage left. And we exited stage right and walked right into the president. We did one of those, like, oh, do we go left? Do we do right? right? He was doing the same thing. And we came off stage, and those guys were fucking furious. <laughs> and and so, they're like, never let this happen again. I go, never again? What are you talking about? I'm heading right. out that fucking door, yeah. and you're never going to see me again. This is because the end of the whole scene. It must be so stressful, like living a life where human interaction is not a possibility. Like, things have to be scheduled and but, scripted. Like, if this happens it can't but he's standing next to the whole time that i'm watching i'm coming in and, and standing there the fucking general with the briefcase with all the launch codes is just standing there next <laughs> to him. like what the fuck jesus you know and like later tonight i got to call a naughty nighty contest yeah fucking dunedin you know this is ridiculous <laughs> this shouldn't even be happening and where do you go from that like there's this big high like yeah we're introducing the president and then like you said you're back to do a naughty nighty contest. But they say the depression even sets in on any president once he's out. I would imagine. I yeah. That, that they just feel like anything worth well, living is gone. I mean, when you think about it, even at a base level, when you become the president, you're automatically the biggest celebrity in the world. And then when you're not the president anymore, somebody else is. Then again, they also, yeah, but then you're number two, because there really is nothing like... The only one that doesn't feel like he'd have the same buzz is Carter, because he was a bit of an ass and he's been out since 1980. Yeah. But Bill Clinton? Or, yeah, or, but here's the thing. Bill Clinton's a celebrity, but they don't shut the fucking airport down with him. They mm-hmm. don't shut every block. When, uh, right, when the right. president comes into town, he doesn't see a fucking red light, ever, for eight years. He doesn't stop at a red light. He doesn't fucking start a car. Everything changes, you know? And it's just like... Uh, you know, he scratches his head and fucking a doctor comes over and everything. <laughs> right. What is that? Let me just take a look at it. And then you leave and you have to remember how to interact as a person again. And Well, they said Eisenhower, when he got out, didn't fucking understand how phones worked anymore. Oh, my God. And he, would ju- he picked up the phone and he said, hello, get me in. The-. He just heard a dial tone. Yeah. <laughs> there was somebody just to connect him. So he was just going, get me the, uh, hello? Hello. What's wrong with this phone? And they're going, there's nothing wrong with the phone. It is a phone. It's not the magic phone we've been handing you for years. There's a, the VIP level. They're just the way, like they, like McCartney's a big, mm-hmm. like in music. McCartney's as big mm-hmm. as you can get musically. There's nobody bigger. Right. The way I react to Lady Gaga is the way she would react to McCartney. Right. Yeah. Like he, he, it's like a weird hierarchy. Yeah. He, uh, and she would probably have to wait on the line if she wanted to meet. If she him. wanted a picture with him. Uh, she would have to be brought in yeah. and wait for him. And just like when Metallica, when Lars called up and said when they opened for Metallica, I mean, when they opened for the Stones, yeah. Metallica's a big fucking band. Yeah. They had to be taken into an area and wait for Mick and the Stones to come out. The Stones photographer takes the picture, and if they approve it, 
Then you get it. But they waited for the Rolling Stones the way we would wait for Metallica. And they were working with them. They were on they tour opened with them. for them. So it is that. And, and the president, everybody is that way for him. This is, the, this is the other thing that the Stones do, and I think this is the funniest fucking thing in show business. They always have this massive 100-yard fucking stage, right? But when you open, and huge bands, like you said, open for them, they only get like one small <laughs> part of it, and they don't get the monitors and shit like that. They curtain everything so off? Like, so they get this call, and it's like, hey, you're going to open for the Stones. And, you know, it must sound great. And like... Fuck, this is what we dreamt about our whole life, us and the Stones. But then they get treated like shit by the Stones. <laughs> and it's Metallica. It's not like some Yeah, band. right. I mean, like, the Stones haven't had anybody that w hasn't been, you know, fantastic open for them in, like, fucking 40 years. Uh -huh. you know? They just don't go grabbing people off the street. Yeah. You know, it's normally, look. We can take who you guys think is great and put them right here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right where we want them. <laughs> and then, well, they're also the Stones when they're selling an arena. They are a hundred percent of the draw. It's not a. It's not like hey, let's tour together and sell it out. They're all Stones fans. Whoever is opening is irrelevant. Right. Right. And they will fucking. They threw fucking shit at. Uh, Prince, Justin Timberlake, Van Did they Halen. Really? Yeah. They threw Prince, it was probably 79, 80, oh. very, very on. But they booed fucking Van Halen off the stage when they were Van Halen in the, like, 1980, 81 tour. They, the people were just like, we're here to fucking see the Stones. Yeah. It's not fucking around. Did they boo Metallica? I don't know about that one. But they get fucking, you know, this is what they've been waiting for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, they're really weird. Uh, it's like I always think of guys that can like the guy when we saw them at uh, at, at McCartney at the Apollo. Like Keith Richards and Ron Wood were there, yeah, and they went back to see him. And like those are guys that could walk in the room and be comfortable with McCartney. Yeah, like, right. you know they're not they're not they're not impressed with McCartney. Right, they're they're as close to him as you can get without being him. Right, here's one where you're talking about who's the biggest celebrity. I'm at a fight. It's either a Tyson fight or a Holyfield fight uh, in Vegas, and this would have been. Mid to late nineties, one hundred fucking celebrities show up. There, and only one person did the whole place fucking turn around and watch walk in Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, all the fucking celebrities. You saw them doing the. There's a celebrity over there thing. Yeah, just in their seats, and we were cracking the fuck up. And Jack just comes in in a pair of fucking shades, sits down, and the fight starts. Like, We're, okay, I'm here. Start the fight. And instantly, like the hundred celebrities that you were just looking at, like, wow. When you once you see them looking at Jack Nicholson, you're like, Oh, who cares no, about it was fucking funny though. Yeah, it was very, very exactly. funny to see them going, There's a fucking celebrity here. Right. This is great. Although even in a room of presidents, uh, you know, Vic Henley's a comedian, he tells a funny story about having done a thing with Bush Senior. Ali is still kind of the one everybody looks at. Like because any sitting president right. wants to walk over and pay homage to Ali more than he wants to pay homage to them. Mm -hmm. Like, if Obama and Ali were in the room, Obama would be happy to walk over, because Obama's not a childhood hero of Ali. Right, of course. Muhammad He's Ali, when he was, was the... And people don't remember how fucking big boxing uh, was. Boxing was enormous. Yeah. Take, you know, when there was a fucking big fight with Ali, the whole country would be talking about it constantly. Yeah. He said, I think it was to Howard Cosell, I can go anywhere in the world with no money. I'll just travel the world saying, take me with you. Hey, I want to come in and sleep in your house tonight. Doesn't matter if I'm in fucking Kenya. Doesn't matter where I go, China, and I will be welcomed. It's amazing. And he fucking <laughs> knew that about himself. He knew that not only did they look at him that way, but people actually were like, 
I would like to help Muhammad Ali. He knew he had that fucking thing of people. Yeah, he has a, he had a, a, such a bigger effect than boxing. It's like yeah. even countries that hate us love Ali. They respect him because he told the U.S. government to go fuck itself. Yeah, he didn't fight. Right. Get, you know, uh, he's he's got that vibe. And I've I've heard stories that like when he does stuff with the NBA or any, the, just the teams, the, the whole yeah. fucking everyone that we want photos with, run over like children and take a picture with him. When Earl was a little kid, Ali went walking through his neighborhood, and all the fucking black kids all came running outside. And this was when Ali was the champion. Yeah. He was just walking through Earl's neighborhood. Earl's got this fucking great story about it. But when I was a kid, Joe Frazier was the champ, and in Philadelphia, uh -huh. Ali showed up outside <laughs> of his fucking thing, was like yelling at him, like a wrestling thing, Yeah, and all the Philly kids were gathered around Ali and going fucking crazy. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I mean, like, can you imagine, like, if the Giants came down to where the Eagles fucking practice? <laughs> yeah. You know, they, the people would kick their ass, but they went fucking crazy for Ali. They love him. Yeah, I mean, when you see the thriller in Manila, it was, yeah. uh, we had Frazier in for that. Oh, the documentary. Yeah. It was great, yeah, great, but you really do feel for Frazier, like, I mean, Ali it was terrible. Yeah, he really was shitty to Frazier for real, like beyond yeah. where he should have gone to promote a fight. Well, there's a lot of guys um, who always know like their position. There's a lot of comedians have done it. Gleason has done stuff to people that, you know, like, hey, why we're here? I want to make sure I'm the one who gets over. You know what I mean? Uh, what did Gleason do? Uh, Richard Lewis tells this fucking story about when he was on stage and Gleason came walking up drunk and took the mic off him and said, let me show how it's done, kid. Uh, Milton Berle is another guy who's known, was known to be very competitive. Really? With other comics. Yeah, like at the roast. Somebody even said that, like, he would pinch people while they were fucking doing their roast stuff, just trying to fucking throw them off <laughs> if they were getting too big of a laugh. So it was, uh, was uh, Gleason funny when he took the mic? Yeah, uh, he was Gleason, you know what I mean? Like, you, he was a giant fucking star, and uh, he just went up and just took the fucking mic off a, a young comic that was dying at the time. Oh, he was dying? Yeah, well, he was fucking struggling. He was new, um, but it was just some guys feel like they need... 100% of the attention. Yeah, that's a little annoying. Yeah. It's a little annoying. Well, I think with Ali, it went into a real hatred of Frazier. But there are some guys that don't care where they are in the business unless they're first. And they don't care if they've got the respect of the people behind them or whatever, yeah. the people that came before them. They just have, they to, have be, to be number yeah. one. But I, And I think Ali had that when he was younger. I think he definitely felt like... Um, fuck Frazier, fuck everybody else. It's about me. And I think as he got older... He got a little sweeter. Yeah, maybe so. But he, he really was fucking calling him a gorilla. Like he just he really was right. vicious to Fraser. Fraser was nice to him. Gave him money when he was uh, when he was out of boxing. Yeah. Fraser gave him some money, and Ali just motherfucked him for real, and then didn't even apologize. He like called his kid into the dressing room and apologized to his kid. Frazier hates him. Frazier, you want to talk about a guy who's not starstruck by Ali? Frazier. Because <laughs> yeah. he spent 45 well, rounds punching him in the face. Yeah. He saw, hates Muhammad Ali. You saw in the documentary to this day... On Frazier's voicemail, yeah. he does some poem about Ali. He's insulting Muhammad Ali on his voicemail Harry to this Parkinson's, day. Yeah. yeah. He's saying, like, guess who put him like that? Like, Frazier takes full credit. Right. And Frazier's a little loopy, too, let's be honest. <laughs> not exactly in the fucking fight. He when he came in here, he just started singing. singing. Like, every, every 15 minutes, he just started Dude, singing a song. He used to have a fucking band. And they used to tour around. It was the Joe Frazier's and the something. <laughs> oh, right. And I worked at a fucking hotel when I was a kid. And Frazier and his band were staying there. And it was like they had like fucking nine rooms. And then one night they all went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fucking great. And this wasn't, you know, it probably wasn't within fucking ten years that he was 
world champ. Yeah. You know? What's that mean? They didn't pay the bill? Yeah, they just fucking disappeared in the middle of the night. (laughs) Just fucking all of them. Just fucking went out a second story window and into the fucking Took off. Yeah. Yeah, Probably wasn't a credit card down for incidentals back in those (laughs) days. Everybody's like, Joe Frazier's here. This is great. Yeah. All right, well, we'll let Ron and Fez do their thing. You better. They're coming up next. Uh, Jim, we'll find out about your picture tomorrow. I can... Or... We keep checking checking your Twitter tonight. Yeah, I will. We might uh, get to see it. I'm going to ask Roland now. It's already 11:27. The photo was taken about two hours ago. Um, Did it come out? You think it came out? I do. Yeah, we can't. We can't I know. Have, I think so. I, I imagine it did. I can't see why it wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, um, if it didn't, there's going to be a woman here with broken hands. <laughs> so, I believe there's going to be a human resources issue. Yeah. So he snapped the photographer's wrists. This has been after Opie and Anthony live. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, as will Opie and Anthony, when we find out about the picture. I was wondering where Fez was. He hasn't come in for this? No. He doesn't like uh, Sam. All right, is that enough. it? I don't blame him. Mm. Whatever. Uh, Stay well. tuned. Ron and Fez is coming up next. You're listening to The Virus. The Ron and Fez Show starts... <laughs> now.
let's get down to it, Bopper. I'm not sure, but I think uh, Chris Hicks was just giving me a tongue lash and what? over breaks here. <laughs> I am ready to catch up when you are, sir. I am sorry if we're not caught up on breaks. Oh, everything's fine. Did you did you only do one break here? No, we, we doubled. We're, we're good. We're I just you know as, as the show goes on. Oh, no, when you when, when you're talking fast, I always feel like you're up to something. <laughs> Why did you start us with some Rolling Stones today? Well. Jerry Ragavoy, the man who wrote that song, passed away. Jerry Rafferty passed away? Ragavoy. Oh. Um, yeah, he also wrote some Janis Joplin songs. That's the kind of life I want to have. I was okay. like, hey, I wrote some songs covered by Janis Joplin and the Stones. Too bad he couldn't have been, he could have been our Google Plus. He could have been the circle. We're going to do a, a, just a Google Plus only contest, I think. Oh, shit. Uh, a lot going on today. Yes, yeah, an exclusive. Fuck it, that's a circle. It's like if you have Google Cl uh, Plus, it's like having American Express where you're going to get concert tickets <laughs> first. And then you can be part of the Golden Circle. Nice. Uh, all right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. It's a hot, lazy Monday here in New York City. Um, I'm going to start the show off with a major announcement that should... Rock the Ron and Fez world. Holy shit. Uh, we're going to lose somebody here on the Ron and Fez show uh, that's been with us for a while oh. um, due to the soccer game yesterday. This will be the last time that you ever hear. <laughs> I'm done with that word and I'm done with the Asian language. Oh, there will be no discussions God. about the horrible, horrible loss that our girls had yesterday. They almost were a part of history. But I also will not play into the racism of the Twitter universe mm. that went down yesterday. We're bigger than that. I just will no longer be referring to the news of the day as. gigantic. Pull it. Done. It's done. Gone. Get my team of marketers to uh, jump on top of this for a new phrasing. Done and done. One and done, I like to say. One and done. Checking our phones because everything, I know the change over here is an odd one. Yeah, a little bit sometimes. I took, I took a little grief from you today. No, no grief at all. Never grief. I think I took a little grief. None. I'm not coming off as grief giving. Uh, Fez Watley, who won our prize yesterday? The uh, She's So Unusual. That went to Salamando. Salamando, what? congratulations. And then I think that we did an, uh, a secondary prize of a t-shirt that also gets sent out. But uh, Salamando... Salamando wins the She Show So Unusual. Nice. Um, that was given out in respect for the girls who played their little hearts out. But yeah. guess what? Sometimes the best team doesn't win. Mm. That's why you play the game. That's why you play the game. It hurts. And we seriously, we put those uh, Japanese girls in a pinball machine. 
but it just wasn't our day. It just wasn't our day. The fucking crossbar should sit and get a goddamn MVP trophy. Or man of the match, as they say in the Premier League. Oh. Um, Joe in Canada, you're in Fez. Yo, what's happening, boys? Uh, just uh, one thing I was seeing on Twitter yesterday or two days ago, whenever the game was. I didn't even watch it. But I've noticed now on Twitter, I've been on it for a month, and it just proves the stupidity of people when you see trending Japs, Pearl Harbor, and America, and people are claiming this is revenge for Pearl Harbor. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Me? It's what certainly embarrassing. And those people actually are just racist. It's not a, a reflection of the sporting world because the people in the field don't feel that way. No. Same one. Get a Twitter account. Start tweeting crazy shit. Uh, that is true. Same thing happened on Facebook. I'm not familiar with Facebook. I'm all about the Google Plus right now. I understand. Doing exclusive parties. Doing exclusive uh, Google Plus circle parties. Hopefully the Winklevi can get on our Google Plus circle. Uh, from what I understand, uh, Ashton Kutcher already rocking Google Plus. Mm-hmm. So, if that isn't a death toll, I don't know what is. <laughs> he, has got, he has one step of it all. Um, Matt. Uh, you got hey Ron, uh, maybe a numero uno for today. Mm. Uh, Tot Mom is free and in hiding. Tot Mom uh, went walking out of uh, the Orlando jail. Um, armed guards, yeah, yeah, taking her immediately to an airplane where she flies off. Mystery plane. Now. Supposedly she only had 500 bucks. Yeah. That was fucking... I've been on private planes before. They ain't cheap. <laughs> no. You need serious fucking coke money. <laughs> She's supposed to be either in Columbus, Ohio, or Puerto Rico. Those are the two destinations that have come up. It's Columbus, Ohio, because I was tracking her that night. Oh. I'd taken that off somebody's Twitter account where you could watch where the plane was going. Now... For some reason, I think it's only post 9-11 that we're very used to this, but I brought this up not too long ago, that somehow local police have become the military. When you see guys walking out wearing helmets, yeah. carrying submachine guns. machine guns, dude. It's crazy. And they look like they're in fucking Baghdad. They're in fatigues, too. Yeah, but they're in Orlando. Uh, recently, uh, they took a guy out in Trainer, Pennsylvania, um, but it looked exactly like they were bum-rushing a house in Baghdad. It was a military assault. Scary The shit. SWAT teams are now military. And, Fez, I know that you talk about people who are like, you know, you're anti-gun, they're pro-gun, they say they want to protect themselves from the government. I never in my life would have thought I would have lived to see a day where you would see military actions by the police force. I mean, you look back in the old days... And those cops were just shooting it out like they didn't know what they were doing. They had fucking revolvers. Yeah, they had revolvers and they were, they were fucking, you know, they were normally in over their heads. But this, our police forces have uh, branches right now of the military. There's no doubt about it. And when you saw that last night, I'm walking through a courthouse, walking through a crowd of Americans 
carrying machine guns. We're very, very used to it. You go into the tunnels in New York, yeah. machine guns down in the subway. Grand Central Station, there's You will machine see machine guns. guns. And it's time. very, very strange. Yeah. Uh, Tails, you're on the Ron Fez Show. Hey, Ron, what's up? Yeah. Quote of the day was Jimmy when he says, where's Fez? He doesn't come in for this. <laughs> that was hilarious. You should change the show to Ron and Jim. You know what, Tails? First, Fezzy, hang, put that head back up. I don't like to see it when you drop your head. Why did you drop your head, then? You got <laughs> stuff today, right? Yes, I do. See in a bad place today or a good place? Well, I'm in this main studio today, so I'm going to guess not so good. Oh, when you're put in there, it's yeah. not a good day? Yeah. Why do you move him over here? Um, it just, I, it, it helps me out if I put him on the board. Where it's, uh, you know... You don't have to check on whose mic is up. Right, yeah. Because the board is in there. Oh, We've yeah. We've got to stop calling this the board. The board is in the other room. What you've done is taken them off the board. Oh, okay. Don't you think? Yeah, because this board now anymore is just microphones. Well, not anymore. It's been like this for six fucking years. You know? If we were at 95YNF, yes, that would be the board. But we have a physical board that's in the other room. But to just to turn the mics up, I don't like it back there because I think it's too far away. I would not want to have to fucking deal with a guest across fucking 10 feet of yeah. table. And it's also in a very cramped corner. It's all oh, the way in the back of the room. You're getting more and more claustrophobic, aren't you? Oh, very much. You know what we could do is start and let... Uh, Lay you down during the show and put refrigerators over you. Old junk refrigerators. And see if that doesn't make... Kind of open up the room a little more. I'll go to the junkyard today. Let's go. I always want to go to a junkyard. You don't have to ask me twice. I'll be sitting in that fucking front seat. It's like when my dad asked me to go to the junkyard as a kid. Hey, you want to go out to the junkyard? Fuck, man. Hell yeah, there's all sorts of shit out there. Yeah, I'll throw stuff in it. <laughs> there was some fucking place that we go out and I was just like... Help me throw this down, and then they would, like, fucking chew it up. That's awesome. And then uh, he was always yelling at me, don't get too fucking close. I couldn't tell you the thrill of fucking throwing trash into a hole. Oh, it destroys it? watching it being chewed. Fuck yeah. I don't know why. Exciting. Uh, I don't know why they feel like they have to have other things for kids other than metal grinding up metal. <laughs> uh, plenty. That should be fucking Disney World. Uh, Nate, you're on the first. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, real quick. Girl in uh, Philly, I think Germantown area, tried to ram another woman's vehicle, believing she was Casey Anthony. Oh, yeah. Sundown for life, bitch! Yeah, there was some woman that looked like... Yeah, for life. That's, That's right. For life. I love it. Not just for right now. Mm-mm. For life. What would you yell out for life if you had to right this second? Story for life, baby. Come on. I'm going to throw it up. There's an A. There's an A. <laughs> See, I would only say Jesus. Jesus, really? Yeah. But... Then again, I'm born again, so wow. what, do, what do I know? Really? Mm-hmm. When that happen? Over the weekend, I got oh. a fresh soul. Oh, shit. So. Good for you, well, I think. You know what? Good for you. You, you Enjoy hell, because why? I'll be in heaven. Why, why am I going now? <laughs> Should I make up a fucking list? Because <laughs> I'm not doing it to you, but the Lord is. Um, we've got an unmasked to announce... Within the next 10 minutes, I want to make sure we get it all put up. But head on over to uh, Unmasked Show on Twitter. Unmasked Show on Twitter. Um, and we will announce the next tickets for the Unmasked program. Now, I didn't know that little Jimmy 
and Paul Provenza had any kind of fucking heat, or I would have squashed it immediately. Because Paul likes them. But sometimes things happen with fucking people behind the scenes. Yeah. It's, it's like executive shit. It's dodgy business. It is a dodgy business. You're right. You should go back into the coke business, like when you were younger. Um, here's uh, Dan, Sarasota. You're on my face. Yo, Ronnie. I was wondering if me and you could hang out later on uh, G+. I'm going to give you a quick no. Well, we could huddle. Uh, is that what it's called, a huddle? Well, huddle, me and you. Yeah, I'm going to give that a no. I don't huddle that much. But Ron and Fez are on G+. And um, it's only because it's new. That's all we care about, being new. Hey, it's got that Google name on it. We'll play the Paul Provenza a little later on in the show today. Very, very funny guy. And... Uh, Yes, Salamando, I'll say I said your Twitter name. I will say people's Twitter names now as I get ready to move over into G plus if you write right into two oh two friends, two oh two friends. Um I'll say Sackdown Blue. I'll say uh Boris Head Rob. Hope you people feel lucky. Always throwing one out the road from Long Island. Big ups. We just met her daughter the other day. Very, very nice young girl. I'll say Vegas Bob if I need to. Shit. Um, but then later, here's where I went. I want all you people when I'm running the unmasked, then because of, of giving back, write to Paul Provenza telling him what you thought of the unmasked. Yeah. Today. Come on. So I'm going to do that for you guys, and then you guys do something for me. Yeah, give and then a little... we're all what? We're all like a fucking what? Family, family, right? Yeah, we're family. We're connected. I don't know about connected. In the circle. We're like a family. Twitter. My family's not connected. <laughs> Mafia Life Chris family, I think they're probably connected. Maybe, yeah. All right, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Fez, what's the big story, the number one story, but only in English and American? In English, it is Harry... Stop saying English. It's English. It's Harry Potter's giant opening weekend... Biggest movie opening uh, ever. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> now, I will say this as somebody who's not a... Well, I'm not a regular customer to the Harry Potter thing. I know I've seen something by them. I, I couldn't tell you whether it was the first one or the third one, but it was on TV. And I will say this. I give them full credit for being able to pull off eight movies in a row. Got it together. Same cast... Without everybody wanting to kill them. <laughs> George Lucas, learn a little something. Yeah, their fans are actually overwhelmingly positive about every fucking movie. Isn't that movie. weird? Crazy. You know, congratulations to the Harry Potter films. But I was I just got to take a second to read off some of the names. Oh. And then later all I ask is you people will write into Paul Provenza and tell them what you thought of The Unmasked. Uh, Tyler B. Uh, Unicorn Figurine. Stucarelli. Chipopel, Wow Niggle Mitchell. I said Niggle. <laughs> oh, Nigel. Uh, Chai Sox fan. Uh, Yuki Paul. Kilt. And Deslameter. Oh, Me Fix Computers. Snoo Car 3. 
course, always Queen Elizabeth, Nick Butcher, Arctic Chart. I'm going to need you guys to stay on top of this for me in the back here. Make sure I get all of them. Fez, I interrupted you twice. There is a glee out there with this Harry Potter film. Everybody loves that show. I don't know what it is. They sing everybody's stuff? Yeah, they sing cover things. Mamma Mia! Mamma Mia! Those kids are adorable. This is a different kind of glee. What are you trying to say today, Fez? You're burying the lead. What is it? That every article proclaiming Harry Potter's big movie weekend has to include how it destroyed the Dark Knight or toppled the Dark Knight. Well, everybody makes a big thing about comic books and their fanboys, but that's the end of it. Comic books are dead now, and we now live in the age of a magical prince named Harry Potter. So, I, everyone loved The Dark Knight when it came out. <laughs> Stinks now. Now I like Potter. Yeah. They were thrilled. This thing beats its opening weekend by $10 million. Wow, that much? Yes. Damn. Holy shit, that's it looks, huge. It's like shit now. Huh? Dark Knight had a $158 million opening that's weekend. That's all? <laughs> that is a lot. And Harry Potter had $168 million. Wow. So, not even close. So no, now, fuck them. All Fuck these Batman. all these articles everywhere are like uh, like the Dark Knight was just n- nothing. Like it was just sitting there waiting to topple. Well, it held the title for what four years. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, pretty good. Before it got crushed by Harry Potter, the magical prince. All they have the to boy who lived. He's the boy who lived. All they have to do is just say, oh, record-breaking weekend. Hooray for Harry Potter. They Congrats. should never say whose record got decimated. Well, they don't have, They could put it in the article somewhere. They don't have to flaunt their headlines, Dark Knight defeated. Well, here's the thing. They could say defeated Dark Knight, Star Wars, Jaws, and every other film that's ever been yeah. mm-hmm. You know, so you should feel glad that your film was even mentioned. But you're a Batman fan, right? Total Batman fan, yes. You going to the next Batman? No, I am not. So I don't know how you're a fan. Mm-mm. I'm a fan because I would like the Riddler to appear in that next film. Can I tell you what a fan I am of Harry Potter? I plan on seeing all of them. <sighs> and uh, buying, I guess it's muggle juice. Is that what the kids drink? Muggle <sighs> sure. juice? Sure. I never. <laughs> There's all kinds of extra things you can get. There's also a place in Orlando called Universal Studios. What's that? I'm going to go to that. It's uh, Harry Potter Magical Land. Oh, shit. So I'm keeping up on everything now. So I think this is a slap in the face of Heath Ledger, that they have to constantly put it right there in bold print, Dark Knight Defeated. Heath Ledger wins the Oscar for playing the Joker. Everyone says what a great performance. Now it's now it's just trash. Now it's just yesterday's news. Like it was the worst movie that ever came out. I think he might be taking a leap there. Just really saying that it beat them. Um, did you wish it never lost? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would have liked it to have kept that title. It's a great, great movie. Ian, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, you know what I'm thinking, guys? If more tickets cost to it for back then, more tickets and have more people teach. Yeah, but by your way of thinking, then Batman never would have been the champion. Then it still would have been, gone I don't with like... Gone the wind or whatever? Huh? Gone with the wind would be the... Yeah, probably gone with the wind. That's a very good call. It probably would have been gone with the wind or a sound of music yeah. or something like that. 
some big thing. So you can't sit around and go, oh, it's not fair, blah, 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 ticket prices. It just, it's not that big a deal. No one comes and takes anything away from the Batman people. They just uh, lost. That's all. Uh, Justin, you're on the Ron Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. Yeah. What's up, man? You got to remember, Batman was uh, wasn't available in three D. That's their 3D fucking fault. A lot more money. That's their fault. That's their fault. If you want to have three uh, D, then get it. You can't blame them for not doing it. Christopher Nolan uh, turned down three D. Though not it, his it, fault. It, then it, he can't sit around at the best. Warner Brothers was trying to force it on him, and he got out of that. Then he'd it. still be number one. That's right. If he hadn't made such a stupid move. Huge. Um, Yakin Yadu, Chip De Niro, Keith from Philly, Mechanic Bill, Holly in St. Pete, Big Dash, Half Astronaut, Magic Spider, uh, I think I already said Unicorn Figurine, Tyler B, uh, Boo Beeman, RTK's dad, Shocker 173, Big Matt, oh. 81, Salamando again. Uh, P. Misham, Vegas Bob, and Jerem Jaira. Now, you're saying, that's so kind, Ron. We'll read off everybody's names. Do me a favor a little later on. When the unmask comes on, pop in a little something that Paul prevents if you enjoy. And I'm going to go and check this list against it to see if it's the same. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to start and do. Fine tooth fucking whether, comb. See whether I ever read names off again. That's right, people. Hicks, I like how you back me up. We check things. If Fez had his own Hicks, I bet he would never have a bad day. This is where you should say, I'm Fez's Hicks. I'm both of your guys' Hicks. You know what? That's true. He does have a Hicks. That's right. Let's edit out that other part. Okay. Like, you somehow have to do it when I'm doing fucking commercials. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> and I go, seriously, you can make that at the commercial? Yeah, don't worry about it. Go. Go ahead. Get out of here. Let me take care of it. Hicks is like one of those guys who fucking stays behind, just strapped with fucking dynamite <laughs> so I can get over the bridge. Fuck it. Um, here's uh, Peter in Seattle. You're running Fez. Hey, Fezzy. Uh, hey, Ron. Sorry, guys. Uh, there's okay. no issue with Dark Knight, it has the record for non-holiday Mondays, non-opening Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fez, congratulations. You're the non-holiday Monday winner. I don't want a non-holiday <laughs> Monday. I don't That's want what it. You got. I don't want it. Big one. So you're still the non-holiday Monday one. Can I ask you a oh, question? that's like winning the TV title in wrestling. I don't know what that means. Now, it's very hot in here, by the way. Let's get that I'll taken take care of before it. someone drops dead. No one does. It's like a fucking steam bath in here. Let's get that air on. I'm sure when Lady Gaga was in here this morning, it was nice and cool. Now, did she perform in the fishbowl? No. She did not He's got his own studio over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, I do like her on the piano. Oh, she's a talented pianist. Well, I don't just mean that, but I mean singing. Like Just like I like when anyone breaks it down and go, this is the way the song was written. Yeah. Forget everything else. Forget Fuck it. Every, yeah, forget all that other stuff. Um, about to announce the next Unmasked, if you go over to Unmasked Show, 
Unmasked show, uh, you will be able to pick up on this. This is a legendary performer. Got her break in a movie over 30 years ago. Whoa. This is big. And then has gone on to represent a certain style. Okay. A certain attitude. Nice. And uh, and come across with a certain viewpoint that hasn't changed, I don't think, over 30 years. That's pretty badass. It's very rare when you hear stylish and comedian. Mm-hmm. Comedians are more likely to wear a got mule shirt. Okay. Than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, not focusing on the style aspect. Not focusing on the style aspect, like, here's how I'm dressed, mm -hmm. I give you yeah, shit, yeah, yeah. let me before, perform. But this next, and I would go say this, one of the comedy divas. Wow. And I say diva in the best sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Not in the sense of the word that Hicks's generation, <laughs> what I now call the Harry Potter number one over Batman generation. That's, that's, that's our title. As well it should be, you deserved it. Um, Sandra Bernhardt. Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, very intimate room. It's awesome. Legendary performer. Broke into the business. Co-starring with Jerry Lewis and Robert De Niro. Directed by Marty Scorsese. He ain't gonna be able to beat that shit. Fuck no. So good in that movie. It's to me, that's bigger than the second biggest movie of all time, Batman. Mm -hmm. um, it's so weird to call that second biggest opening. So it's the third now. And now, you know, they just recently been passed, knocked out of the top ten worldwide by uh, Pirates 4. <laughs> called It's called Pirates 4, yeah. We Still Be Pirated. <laughs> No Which one I, is going to remember either of those films. They will always remember the Joker in the Dark Knight. That is memorable. All those pirates are going to run together. All those Harry Potters are going to run together in people's minds. So does everybody remember Jack Nicholson's Joker? Hell yeah. I'll come off the hat already and we're back to scratching. I we forgot so the hat. Good. I we left so it. so good the other day. I had it at home on the counter to bring. I have a helmet upstairs. It's kind of heavy. Yeah, put it on. Okay. Anything to save them. Okay. Um, oh, this is the newest list. Let's see how many of these people write to Paul Provenza later. That's what I want to see. That's right. Well, of course, I knew this name was going to be on here. Rorschach 7. Flyboy 101. Let me just stop and go back and say, Rorschach, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Door for a Blanket. JB, DJ KB. Mr. Kyle Fenton. Jeff Hounsell, Jason L. Cox. Did I ever say Shine Monkey today? No. Sea Panther fan, Nick Roush, Cardiff Giant 11, Stukari, uh, Huge Norma. Hmm. Or is that Huge Norm IA? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Truck and Tim, Dax 14, J5311. The Gogo Rama, J. Mance, 21. Um, here's uh, Bruce in Louisiana, Yerman Fez. Ron, when you were hyping up your announcement, 
I just knew it. I knew it, I knew it, and I'm super fucking psyched. Whenever you do Oddly Hot, Sandra Bernhardt is definitely my Oddly Hot, and I am super psyched about that. Thank you. And the strangest thing, Bruce, is, you know, she wouldn't be interested in you, if you know what I mean now. Which also makes it even oddly hotter. Oh, yeah. Because, is that our building? That looked look like it was like just it. our building on CNN. Just make sure there isn't any kind of bomb trucks at the bottom of it. It looked like there was uh, bomb-sniffing dogs. I saw that. Let's check and, quickly. And security guards were crying. Yeah. Um, well, let's just roll it out. We're all together. That's all we care about. We're all together. I'm talking about the second best movie of all time. Batman. Well, why even bring it up? Harry Potter, the number one, <laughs> number one, the number one opening of all time, and it is amazing to see these kids take their victory lap. And goddamn it, they deserve it. It's all about the country of Angolan uh, right now. Now, here's what's happening: Angolan um, news of the world shut down, and Fez Watley said on this show they're going to get. Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch will end up in jail. And I said to him, Fez, Chinatown, motherfucker, they don't get the rich guy. The rich guy walks away. Fez is closer and closer to his goal. The head of Scotland Yard, fuck you, on the street. Out. Holy shit. This Head house, of Scotland Yard. This house of cards has fallen over. Uh, the guy who was running the Wall Street Journal over here also quit his Murdoch job. And uh, I think it was the editor. What was her name? Rebecca? Rebecca Brooks. Yeah, the chief exec of News Corp. I don't know what that means, but okay. And she was arrested over the weekend, found herself in handcuffs. So... She's the only one arrested. The rest of them are getting fired. Right. Uh, Rebecca was the 10th News of the World uh, News Court person to get arrested. But the but first she's the executive? Highest, yeah, she is the highest up out of those 10. Mm. Everyone else has resigned their posts. Uh, now you can't get higher arresting someone unless their name is Murdoch. Mm. Rupert or his son James. Or maybe the daughter. Well, I, look, I ain't speaking about the kids. Because I think Murdoch would be the type of guy that would throw his fucking kids out of the lifeboat. But I will go on with the fact that uh, Murdoch takes care of himself. I just don't believe they're going to get him. He has too much money. He's got too much money. You're right. And power. And the evilness. <laughs> and dark-hearted evilness. <laughs> I think it's just uh, it's spun out of control now. I, I don't. He was apologizing over the weekend. I don't. I doubt if Rupert Murdoch has ever apologized for anything in his life. Um, he feels the heat coming on. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but guess what? Feeling the heat is what a survivor does. Um, these kind of guys take care of themselves. They really did. And I, I, I really think it's going to eventually get to him. And now I'm thinking it's going to get to this prime minister, Cameron, where he's going to end up resigning over this. That would be great. Now, why would he be helping out somebody who writes shit about him? He actually had hired someone for his staff when he went in uh, that was someone who had been involved in the hacking scandal. And now that guy is out of his cabinet or whatever they call it in England. 
And apparently there's really, really close ties between Prime Minister Cameron and this Rebecca Brooks. So they're going to be looking at all those connections. I'd rather just see him bring back Margaret Thatcher. If they were smart, they would go, look, we're just bringing Thatcher back. Old school. Even though she's got the retard dope thing going on. Couldn't be that bad. It is that bad. Oh. Where did I... Um, I bring back Meryl Streep as Margaret Thatcher in kind of a look-alike capacity. That is going to be the next biggest movie of all time. Wow. Adam Blau. GVAC. Koof. Lack Martin. Beer Buzzard. Glass Bottom Boat. Rock Pup. Nice to see the Twitter universe reacting. Coming together. Uh, let's see, though. Yeah. This is part one. They got to fucking come through with part two. Let's just see. Sometimes I wonder, Hicks. Well, this little experiment will fucking figure out that wondering. Jeez, you don't even make sense today. You spent <laughs> a... Um, have you actually spent a weekend just drinking yourself into oblivion? Yeah. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> um, Alright, we're going to play a... Who tweeted? Who tweeted? This, uh... Is called Who Tweeted? Who Tweeted? Who Tweeted this line? Anyone know a tip line for Fox News? They seem unaware of this phone hacking story. Uh, a lot of stuff going out there that Fox News isn't spending the time because they're owned by Rupert Murdoch. Oh, yeah. Now, if you watched the last Louie episode, you will find out you can't always talk about your boss. <laughs> If you play in the room at the Trump hotels, you don't get to do uh, Trump jokes. Here's Here a contract. Go. Let's see if you know this one. See if you can pick up on it. Who tweeted? Anyone know a tip line from Fox News? They seem unaware of this phone hacking story. Chris Stanley, who do you have? Give me Queen Elizabeth. Fez, who do you got? I'm going to go with the Great American Zero Gaz. Mm-mm. I'm going to say half-astronaut. All wrong. God fucking damn it. This was... an asshole. Eric Stengel, head writer. Wow. Executive producer, Late Show with David Letterman, uh, also known as the man who made Fez cry. Mm-hmm. I remember that day. Who's got a cartoon avatar of himself. Looks very happy in his cartoon world. Cool. Very funny line, though. Yes. Biting. Yeah, on Fox and Friends, they were actually covering it by saying, why is everyone else covering this with all the problems that we have in this country? Earl sending me stuff about Prussian blue. Yeah, I yeah. got that a lot. That they're uh, actually liberal pot-smoking teens now. Yeah, they've reformed. And they blame break it on... Anthony, sorry, I'm sure. And they blame it on the homeschooling. What? Reforming? <laughs> no, no, the Nazism or whatever. They're kind of cute, though. Oh, yeah. How old are they now? 19? Somewhere around there, yeah. They're, they're of age. They, they would make a lot of money selling themselves as Prussian blue. Fuck yeah. Look at that white power money. Um, hey, have you heard this uh, Peter Gabriel covering Arcade Fire? My body is a case. No. 
Fez, I'm going to send it over to you. Uh, it's on the... And then you can put it up there. Is that possible? Uh-huh. Where yeah. would it go best, though? Fez? Yeah, that right computer? there. That, that, that works perfectly. Stop pointing. <laughs> <laughs> no way is. I right know exactly, here. I know Fez. <laughs> Do, 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 do. Who tweeted? Who tweeted? Um, Dr. X, you're on the Ron Fez show. The reason this guy does not go down, Ronnie, it's simple. He's got to have more shit on everybody than that fucking French song of Joe Hong from WikiLeaks. He's got to have something on every president since FDR. He's got to have something on Obama, on the Russian premier, on everybody, man. He's not going down. There's no way. I, I agree with you 100%. Now, this would actually not even be a story that would be prosecutable here in the United States, except for 9-11 victims also had their phone hacked. Yeah. Um, and I know what you're thinking. Ron, I don't want you to join in with the lamestream media, the comedia that's following this story. I'm not. But it is a big story, and it does need to be talked about. Um, uh, you're a Peter Gabriel fan at all? Not really. He was never I a love the guy. Gabriel fan. This is a place me and you aren't fucking together. But you do, do love the Arcade Fire. Oh, yeah, they're great. Um, speaking of which, the other day I, I wanted to sit around and hear Hooray for Earth. Mm -hmm. The sound check went on for an hour and 40 minutes, <laughs> and finally... Uh, Mark Goodman and I just got in an elevator and wrote it down. And like he said to me, like the world, just what the world needs, another arcade fire. I go, look, you're the 80s. You got the fucking 80s sound down. I'm fucking, you know, missing persons. You know, I'm with you on that. A girl in trouble, it's a temporary thing. Romeo Void. Anyway, let's take a, a little listen to this. Maybe we'll even do a half a smash or trash. The great Peter Gabriel, the person Hicks hates, I happen to be a fan of. Uh, let's give a listen. Thank you. 
Of Arcade Fire, they uh, I don't know about that. had their pockets picked. It's <laughs> great arrangement for the original. I know that you don't. You're not a big pre uh, Phil Collins singing fucking Genesis fan. True, but that was an amazing group before they went into the, the, the studio and changed everything out with the s -s studio. <laughs> like that song. Uh, you got a problem with profit still? Yeah, now now we uh, we can't go. To Now's your can'ts breaks. <laughs> this is just crazy. Don't worry about it. Uh, G baby, how are you, pal? Oh. I'm good. Uh, cool song, but uh, says you guys are talking about the Dark Knight versus Harry Potter. Well, Batman has struck back. They just released the teaser trailer officially for the Dark Knight Rises online. You know that Fez will not watch the trailer. Will not have anything to do with this. Mm. No. Nope. Where's it at, G Baby? Uh, it's on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash The Dark Knight Rises. I at least so. go to that, Fez. 
and put it up there. Um, are you going to write up something that this is awesome? This kicks the balls of awesome. Uh, well, it's, we already put it up on the site. Uh, we knew it was coming. So, and literally every post we put up about this movie crashes our site. So, so why wouldn't we put it up? So, are you going to write something like this is going to fucking make this the best Comic Con ever? It's actually, you know, what's funny. That movie's so big around they don't actually go to Comic Con. Dark Knight, like you'd think it would be a no-brainer. It's Batman. It's comic books. Warner Brothers isn't even showing up this year. What are they going to uh, do another Lost in Space movie? What are they waiting for? All right, um, Fez, hit it and then uh, hide your eyes. Hit hey. it and hide your eyes. I'm very excited to see this. And your ears, Fez. You don't want to be able to hear anything. That's right. You don't want to hear or see. Holy shit. Whoa. Oh, man. No. If you make yourself more than just a man. If you devote yourself to an ideal, then you become something else entirely. A legend, Mr. Wayne. A legend. We were in this together. No. Mm -mm. Then you're gone. I'm transfixed. Shut up. The Batman has to come back. He does. What if he doesn't exist anymore? He must. He Dude, uh, Christopher Nolan is a visual genius, as you already know. I mean, he's not giving away any of the plot points. Not at all. But, G-Baby, are even you shocked by that? Yeah, I mean, I thought they'd show a little bit more footage. I think, really, there's maybe, what, like, two shots? Three shots. Three shots. There's the Christmaster Gordon, there's somebody doing push-ups, and then the final shot of him, uh, Batman, ready to fight. That's I like, believe yeah, that person good. doing push-ups is Bret Hart. <laughs> I think that's the hitman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's on his way back. Finally. Unbelievable. Yeah. Any hint that the Riddler might have showed up in this? No, not even one. No. <laughs> the Riddler stuff is yesterday's news, Fezzy. I'm, how, can I, is it too early to order my tickets? When does this open? Uh, July 20th, 2012. Oh, come on, calendar, go. Go, calendar, go. <laughs> Fezzy, you really are not going to go to this. I'm not going to be there. I know it's a non-holiday Monday, I guess, for the week it's coming out, but I'm not going to be there for it to keep making its records. That'll be another... What do you swear on? I swear on the Bible. Give me something that you care about, because I know you don't care about the Bible. I, <laughs> I swear on uh, my mother's life. Oh, my God. Holy shit. I'm not going. That's your only living parent. I know. That's all I got left. Mm. All right, G Baby. Uh, uh, the working G Baby. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, slash film. You guys always have the first stuff, right? Oh yeah, we spend. We, we pride ourselves in getting stuff up fast and first and uh, and cool. So yeah, if you want movie news? Slash film dot com. You know, but, uh, I started yeah. to read that site for you 
because we're buddies, but now there's a lot of people on there I read. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, and we're all going to actually be at Comic-Con this week. I finally get to meet a couple of people I've never met. Uh, and uh, when I see some cool stuff, I'll give you guys a call. We should find out about, a lot about Spider-Man, about uh, Prometheus, which is the new Ridley Scott alien prequel. Uh, a lot of cool stuff. Who's going to be the big draw at Comic-Con? Oh, it's definitely Spider-Man. Like I said, no Warner Brothers, which means no Batman, no Superman. Marvel isn't coming, so no Avengers. Though there are going to do some stuff. And the Avengers teaser uh, did leak last night, um, just a bootleg version of it. Nice. Uh, it looks pretty cool. But really, it's going to be Spider-Man. They're going to bring the whole cast. They're going to show the trailer footage. All right, now let me also ask you this. Who is coming that you're going, why are those people at Comic-Con? Uh, oof. So many. The, like, the, the, a lot of the TV shows that show up, you're like, That why? really bugs me. That the TV shows show up that aren't even science fiction, <laughs> aren't even comic books. Yeah, that makes it that's I mean, not part of that. I could see if you're science fiction, you get to go. But it used to just be about fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, that's now it. Now it's about everything. Merle Streep's going to show up there <laughs> and start talking about her new Thatcher movie. It's just an industry event now. It's not nothing. And by the industry, you're talking about the business itself. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not excited to see the Glee panel or the... Uh, the Cleveland Show panel, you know, like that what, what is happening here? That should be good here? though, because who's going to be on the panel? Fucking drawings. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Cells. Mm. All right, G baby. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. Uh, we go in the break. Uh, we get back. Something's been bothering you, Chris Stanley. Yeah, you heard about planking, right? No. Planking is the new internet sensation where people lie down on things. I'm going to start. Look, well, I, I planked last night um, to about, oh, by the way, I had a fucking horrific dream. Really? Woke up with a nightmare. Murder dream. Oh, uh, anyone we know murdered? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyone in this room murdered? Why do you got to make it about your fucking self all the time? Because I get nervous about murder dreams. But is there any one fucking topic that ever comes up that you think, how does Fez tie in with this? Is this about Fez? No. It is Fez. Oh, shit. Uh, anyway, what were you saying before he made it about himself? Well, there's planking. There's something new out. Yeah. Now that's eclipse planking in the fucking realms of internet stupidity that make no sense. Now, any word on our special guest today? Uh, no, none, none yet so far. Missing special guest. Missing. <laughs> <laughs> it's 12.30. After that email. I don't know. I don't know. I tried. Contact them. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> uh, we break. We're back. And we hear about the new planking. The new planking. Planking's planking old. Yesterday. It's old. It's yesterday. Fuck that shit. It's Fucking new. seriously, planking is like cheers. Basically, yeah. And go to Unmasked Show on Twitter. Just announced the next Unmasked taping. It will be Sandra Bernhardt. That's going to be Monday, August 1st. You know what was really funny there? And I don't know if you noticed it, but you got a little Southern on typing. You said, we'll be announcing the next Unmasked typing. And since Fez stopped drinking, you never get to hear Southern Fez. Nope, nope. When Fez was <laughs> drinking, you would get to hear, let me tell you what... Hey, it's all gone now. Let me tell you one more thing about the South. He would get very, very Southern. Oh, yeah, very. Kind of a, you know, a, a Florida Southern, but Southern nonetheless. It came out deep. All right, so uh, Unmasked Show, Sandra Bernhard, that's a big one. That's going to be really, really cool. Um, 
she'll be hanging out with us, and we're all looking forward to that. She's really a funny, off-the-cuff person, too. And it's the coolest thing with our mask to sit down in a small room, uh, talk to somebody who's, you know, a brilliant person, been doing comedy for over 30 years. That's fucking crazy. Uh, break back, and from what I understand, our guest is uh, downstairs. If you're a long-time uh, listener of the Ron and Fez show, you will be excited by our guest today. We break, soon to be back, Ron and Fez show. <laughs> Fez Show, about to announce a special guest, if you've been a long-time listener to the Ron and Fez Show, you will knew, know this gentleman, uh, and we haven't talked to him in quite a few years, uh, Fez, at NEW, when I uh, wanted this guy, what would you yell out? I would get him for you by saying... Staples now! Do you think you can tell? Personal Sid Barrett, Billy Staples. What is it? What can I get for you guys? You called. I will fucking kill Billy. Was always ready to kill some listener. I fucked up. Billy Staples, legendary producer from the NEW years of the Ron and Fez show. And Billy just reminded me, producer of the decade, when we did the Millennium uh, Wrap Up. He won Producer of the Decade Award. How come my picture is not up somewhere? Well, we were talking about a Hall of Fame for the Ron and Fez show uh, because, you know, Billy would have to be at the top. Still on Long Island, are you, Billy? Yeah, uh, still on Long Island, still at Mom's house, uh, living the life, you know. Why go anywhere else, living with Mommy? You uh, back with Mom? Oh, yeah, we, uh, when I split up again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> from uh, wife number two I moved back home with mom and uh, actually when we were still uh, on NEW I did that well you had, had uh, you were yeah you were with your wife <laughs> at first with, when you were with us then you had a very interesting I'm going to start dating again <laughs> and here's what Billy decided to do uh, leave AA and start dating on the same night so he basically <laughs> He was done with the wife and started drinking and whoa I don't know if that I don't know if both of those were the way to go. All I remember is slam time Oh yeah. <laughs> we did slam time. 
with you and a young lady named Lobster Claws, named which because for some reason her hands were incredibly red. <laughs> Not um, nothing else in the body was weird, but the but the lobster claws she had were frightening. And it was great. She wanted to come down to meet me because we had booze. And that right. was it. She didn't really care. She goes, I can come down and drink for free. Billy Staples, uh, give me some of the storylines from the Billy years, Fez, that you remember most. Uh, what I remember most was the chicken parmesan incident. <laughs> you had to. The yeah. chicken parm. <laughs> you got to go to chicken parm right off the bat. That's the one I remember the most. Billy Are we talking about one or two? Yeah, yeah, there was two different oh. instances. Yeah, it kept coming back. There were sequels to Chicken Parm. And this was, again, about a woman. Billy had taken a, a woman out before one of our gigs to a lovely Chicken Parm dinner, right? Uh-huh. Was that yep. the whole point of it? That's, you know, with Billy, he was letting us know how, how well he was treating this woman. She got Chicken Parmesan. We you know, right. you can't get any classier. Especially on a plate. With a fork and not even a paper plate. Yeah. It was a real plate. Yeah, it wasn't even a sub. It was actual an entree. And he really, I think he got developed feelings for this girl. And then she was photographed at one of our appearances making out with another guy. Oh, that was, you first ratted her out. <laughs> We didn't believe you, and then you came back with a photo. Don't act like you weren't a big part of it. You were fucking clocking her like a P.I. all night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who was she making out with? What, what was her name? Uh, was she Inky? Inky. Yeah. yeah. Ink Girl. Inky. Uh, Inky, Inky Girl. they called her. I don't know. Yeah, it was Ink no, Girl. you called her that. No, that was, that was uh, what's-his-face, the uh, fake songwriter, Perry no Oh, Perry Noid. Yeah. Because mm. oh, he was with her first? Yeah. He puked on Halloween all over her or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, Jesus. Those yeah. were crazy fucking days. <laughs> I'm making out with her at that bar uh, right around the corner from NEW after uh, like Christmas time or ratings or uh -huh. something. So some I was getting a bit hammered, you know. Yeah. Like, she was 20 years old or something. So I'm getting her drinks and we're like sucking face in the corner and getting into it oh, a little bit. That, no, and, I know where that was. That was at that, it's like the Friends Bar or something like that. It's uh, We were all the way in the back. We had our own corner. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Faces? Something like that. And Rory started a fight famous with some guy. Fa famous Faces, some fucking stupid place. Yeah. And Billy was on top of the world that night. Yeah. On top of the world with Inky. <laughs> and I'm then a she was. 21 year old girl with huge cans. Um, oh. And I come back, order a nice chicken palm dinner. I said, I already had a hotel room booked for the night. You had everything all lined up. Hell yeah. And next thing I know is Rory uh, looks at me and he goes, uh, You know, Stable, I got to tell you something. <laughs> he goes, uh, Inky's over in the, the corner with some other guy, uh, like almost going down on him. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no way. And I go over there and she's like, do I get to finish my chicken poem? <laughs> I don't know if she said that. But I don't good. know. But it's I, good. I remember you got told that you spun around, saw it happening, and your voice went up like 10 octaves and you screamed, what? <laughs> God, I didn't even remember that. that. I That's do remember. Right. I remember you guys told me that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that was bad enough. And so time goes on, and we come to Halloween. <laughs> the big ass Halloween. Oh yeah, then you, that was a then, third one. No, no two, oh, two. That was Chicken Parm too. And then you were dressed as Chicken, chicken Parm Man. Chicken Parm Man. Finally, going from I am. 
I'm going to stop being mad about this. And I'm being no teased longer the victim. Because <laughs> the guys had teased you. They were merciless. The guys? Yeah. The, the guys? Yeah, the guys. Not me. The other guys were teasing you very bad about it. Wow, I couldn't really think of anybody like the other guys. Yeah, yes, that, me that's and you right. were on the other side, Billy. <laughs> me and you were on your side. So you were going to embrace it. You dressed up like chicken parm man. And then what happened? Because I, I never remember shit. I, again, had the hotel room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Took her back. We went to the hotel room. We actually slept together this time. Tells me how great she is at giving head. And so we crawl into bed, and she turns around and faces the wall. Mm. <laughs> so, and I'm like, you know, coming behind her and like that. And she, next thing you know, she's snoring. She's snoring like crazy. And this was going to be your big romantic Yeah, night. and she's out like a light, and I'm like, okay, I can't do it like diddling again. You know, I'm like, I've been down that road. So next morning, took her to breakfast. She oh, went yeah, home. Oh, yeah, the diddling. Uh, another time, another place for the diddling. Yeah. But we went on the air the next time, and all of a sudden, we're getting phone calls from listeners who are at... The, the the Halloween the show, which was my night. It was the big-ass pump. You had to dress up like uh, the big-ass ball of failure or something. Oh, yeah, the big orange ball of failure. Yeah, and they're calling in going, Staples, do you know what happened? You know, when you were, like, on stage or, you know, busy with the show or something? And you guys don't know anything new. No, we didn't know. Only Rory knew, but he wouldn't tell me that she was, again, hooked up with an, a listener that we knew. Who was this one? Oh, God. Uh, I think it was the guy who slashed the tires in that chick's car or something. Could have been anybody. Yeah. yeah. Could have been any one of our listeners. But it was one of days. our uh, friends of the show, mm. supposedly, and he actually called in. And I'm like, and I'm like, no way, come on. This didn't happen, you know. Come on, I'm dressed in friggin' bouncing rollers, <laughs> shoes with springs on them, and... She was my chicken palm girl. She had a trip shirt on. and Oh, she was your sidekick. Yeah. 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 And she, now I'm hearing, like, everyone's coming in going, Staples, you didn't see it. She was all over this guy. And I'm like, come on. Give me a break. You were fucking bad luck schlep rock with women. Can't oh. be. I've paid for yet another hotel and dinner. <laughs> How could that have happened? <laughs> and then I'm like. She called in, and you guys just ripped her mercilessly. I know, man. We were mad at you for kissing her cock breath, as we called it. <laughs> Why did you kiss her cock breath? Promise you won't go back there again. She uh, was great. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was a winner. Yeah, she was a keeper. Yeah, she was. She was a keeper. So you are no woman in your life right now. No woman to speak of. <laughs> or are you back with Nikki? Oh, God. Uh, Inky got married, I heard. I don't know. You know more than me. Yeah, well, that I heard Sorry years about ago. about the cock breath thing. That was just years ago when we were mad yeah. that night. Well, she got married. She was blowing the best man after the Oh, she was. That's not true. That's not true. Well, going not on past Inky. history. Yeah. Well, you're holding a grudge. No. So, uh, are you seeing anyone now, or? No. Um, I'm actually trying to, but it's a little difficult, because I can't kick my ex-wife out of my house. Your ex-wife lives with you. Yeah. She's still, uh, she came back. She moved in when I got the house from my mom. Uh-huh. And uh, she came in to kind of help me out for a while. And I can't get her to leave. She's like the guest who wouldn't leave. Now, the two of you are there together. Are you back together? Couldn't be further from the truth. We're not even in the same room or the wing. It's like, no. And I'm like... 
it's not even close. Um, and it's like, Linda, you know what? Don't walk around like that. <laughs> you she's know? still walk. She's she's taunting you. Yeah, now, taunting or lazy or I don't know what. But I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what? Okay. We're actually still married. <laughs> you guys never got a divorce. No, I can't pull the plug on it. <laughs> I don't know why. I feel bad. It's been what, like eight years? Thirteen. Thirteen years? Yes. Yeah, Thirteen years. And it's like, well, the first year we were on the show, what, two uh, thousand? Oh, I'm sorry, ten, eleven years. Yeah. Yeah, it was ten, eleven years. And um, now I just, it's like I feel bad. <laughs> and now she, she, she moved in and she keeps calling at our house. And I'm like, no, it's not our house. And I said, I need you to leave. Oh, well, just after this. Uh, just after this. And just after this. And it's like, well, you know, I still think maybe we'll, you know, have, you know, a future together. And I'm like, it's 11 years. Okay, right. we haven't been together in seven or whatever. But here's the weird <laughs> thing. You will lose the house if you divorce her now. You didn't have the house when you... We're living together. Oh, she promised me she doesn't want any part of it. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I would always believe her. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, no, Inky I mean, never promised anything. No, some, you know, I when it comes to my, uh, really my ex, I don't even know what the laws are, whether she's really my ex. I will say this, wife, but she, she was always loyal to you in the sense of if anything went wrong, she would always call in and... You know, as they would say, one would lie and the other would swear to it. She would <laughs> fucking back Billy up on he's not drinking and would, some of those things. You would just disappear sometimes. Just fucking beer. Yeah. Uh, days on end. It was just a matter of what flea bag hotel and what right. hooker and what glass pipe I was with. You fucking love the pipe. Oof. Now Oof. You, you're back to drinking, but you don't smell crack. No, no. The crack thing is just a little too... Uh, dangerous now right. you know because if i ever get caught doing that i won't see uh the light of day for quite some time you did a little bit of time yeah because I, uh, of your stealing a car drinking and wrecking it it was more of a borrowing ron it's kind of a borrowing a right. car you know i i worked for the company mm -hmm. you know, so it was like yeah uh i was only did they report it stolen yeah they overreacted yeah, okay. you know nobody reports things borrowed when the, this was after we went to um, D.C., so I get the call that Billy had hit a fucking telephone pole head on, blah, 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 and I didn't know what kind of shape he was. I had called his hospital. He answers the phone. I'm like, Billy, what's going on? He goes, holy fuck. How do you know? I go, I got the fucking... You know, I cover the waterfront. He was still handcuffed to his fucking hospital bed, wanting to keep it quiet, and I called him. One, a cop in your town fucking wrote to me and said, I'm, you know, better check up on your boy. He's in fucking deep trouble. So you were so pissed off that I had heard about it. This guy was my personal nemesis, this cop. Mm -hmm. He used to call up all the time and rat me out. He was the one with the uh, strip bar when I allegedly... Oh, your pants fell down and your yeah, dick came out? Yeah, I jumped out. into the ring with the strippers or something. Oh, yeah. and, uh, Here's what happened. Which so I, don't rem I, don't, I don't say it happened. And this know. is when Billy would be on the air, like, fucking talking about 12-stepping and meetings and all. We get a call <laughs> from a cop. Billy's fucking pants are down at a fucking titty bar. His fucking dick is out. They grab him to throw him out. I will fucking destroy you on the Ron and Fez show, he's screaming, on NEW. And we're fucking saying to Billy, we're like, and Billy's telling us, 
you know, twelve step and whole time. More like, Billy, what is this guy talking about? And he goes like this. I don't know. What night are you saying this was? A Friday night? Because that couldn't. Like he's just kind of. And we're like, wait, you're just not out and out denying. Are you saying this took place at ten o'clock at night? No, this because was. All I like, know I was home at. He couldn't, you know, be telling the truth. Because his facts were wrong, and they still are. If he's telling me it was Friday at 10, and I was home at Friday at 10. You know, he's then saying it's Saturday night. But if you're, you're a cop, you're supposed to know these things. You're a police officer. You're trained to observe and make note of things. And he's also the one, he says, he pulled me over with a Czechoslovakian guy in my car because oh, I yeah. was drunk. Right? And he's like saying that he made the Czechoslovakian guy drive home. And I'm like, I never had a Czechoslovakian guy in my car. He was fr I had a guy from Slovenia or something. He was not Czech. All right, All right? hold on. Here, here's Hard Rock Johnny. Wants to talk about his favorite Billy Staples moment. Go ahead, Johnny. Uh, the anthrax, hands down, is my favorite, I would have to oh. say. I'm lucky that to be here, Johnny. I am lucky to be there sitting there. There was a time where Billy thought that he had anthrax. It wasn't a thought. Tom Brokaw, yeah. right? It was him and Tom Brokaw got dosed by the same guy. So, mm -hmm. in a post 9-11 time, the city was very, very tense. And then uh, some of the newscasters started getting anthrax. In the envelopes, out. yeah. And I yeah. used to do the mail for the show. And so. you used to open up the mail. And you believe anthrax went all over you. You accused. I felt horrible. You accused a Middle Eastern cab driver <laughs> of infecting you. Right, he sneezed. He sneezed when I was going to pay him, you know, through the little opening and right. stuff. And he was like asking me where I was from, what I did. And I'm like, oh, I'm on the radio, I'm in the media. You know, don't you ever know the Ron and Fez show? You know, I'm Billy Staples. Right, you, you know. used to always like to fucking sell yourself. Why not? But then, I mean, we, then we used to start and put fucking foot powder in fucking envelopes <laughs> yeah. and shit. Yeah, we did. And Billy would open them up and powder would pop out all over the place. <laughs> was you fucking nice? Yeah, that was funny. He kind of, in its own way. Yeah. I, 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 you I, took time off of work to go get checked out. Yeah, I, well, you would too. I mean, you if you were anthrax. feeling like I was and like having like powder on your face, which was kind of unique. You know, for me to be on the face. <laughs> all right, here's uh, Rorschach said in his favorite all the time, uh, Billy Staples quote: "My life isn't falling apart. My life fell apart." <laughs> At the time, it was you know, my life was a bunch of little moments. Okay, right. they were just little moments, and they get pulled together. And you move on. It's very simple. There was never any defining thing that could stop me. You know. It yeah, was. it was. You were the best. That's why you were the producer of the decade. Thanks, Johnny. All right, boys. Bye. Thanks, Johnny. By the way, that's the club where Inky. Uh, yeah, that's it was the hard rock. Thanks for keeping an eye on that for me. Uh, here's our buddy Mikey boy. Go ahead, Mikey. Hey, guys. It's great to hear Billy on the air again. Uh, first of all, I believe the, the guy who Inky was with in the second Chicken Parm episode was um, uh, Skidmark. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and then also, my uh, favorite, one of my favorite Billy Staple moments was um, he, uh, he used to be on LA as, as Fat Guy. And you guys got <clears throat> on him to try and not do another Fat Guy stunt. 
as I said, had made this big build-up for this stunt, and then went and got uh, Al Dukes' paycheck and took a dump on it, took a picture of it, and uh, got in all kinds of trouble with management and had the, the greatest uh, Oh, yeah, you were actually ever. suspended on that one. But that was great. As, as one thing for Billy to wipe his ass with, with the by the way, a paycheck is something we used to what? get. Not huh? just direct <laughs> yeah. deposit. So you would actually get the paycheck. This was That's a weird. decade ago, children. <laughs> so the, Also, Al didn't trust anybody. Right. Yeah, it was like, whatever. But the <laughs> fucking funniest part of that is not so much that Billy did it, is that Al lost his fucking mind so bad that he was swinging, and we had to keep dumping out. I'll fucking kill you! He was like, he was like little brother fucking mad, so that you're swinging and crying a little bit, but they're like anger tears. Mm-hmm. You fuzz! You're a pig! You motherfucker! <laughs> and I'm running away from him going, Al, you don't want to do this. Come on. <laughs> you kept calling him Albert. <laughs> <laughs> and we had the mic in the bathroom with me when I'm sitting there and I'm grunting because it was like not an easy time, you shall on, we yeah. say. But you shit on his check. Yeah, no, no, you know, <laughs> I had to scoop it out of the bowl, you know, too, and have it on the floor so we could kind of just, you know, wipe the check on it. And then we're like, but that's still usable, Al. They still have to take that. It's still legal tender. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, yeah. Once it dries off, you know, you put it by the the heater, whatever. You know, uh, it's a teller. Thanks, Mikey it? Boy. Let's go over here to John. John, Billy Staples, legendary uh, radio producer, sitting in with us today. What's going on, boys? How are you? Yeah. Hey, my favorite story is when uh, Billy was on the Long Island Railroad, and uh, he was going up the stairs. And he bust his ass and used his big ass muffin as an airbag. Oh, I thought yeah. that was funny as hell. Billy, I still uh, miss that muffin. Which uh, <laughs> muffin every night? When she was accused, accused of doing a, a slip and fall. My neck, my back, my neck and my back. Those we have pictures of those. Yeah. Okay, that was verifiable. And that was also a day where I was not able to make it into work, one right. of the few, where um, there's actually a picture taken of me um, with my head against the, behind a brick wall, in front, behind, in front of a brick wall, where actually I still see it somewhere, but I had fallen head first, the step broke out from underneath my feet. And I had my bag in one hand, my muffin and my coffee in the other hand, and I'm like, -la 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 -la, right. running up the steps, and the step broke. And I just went face first onto a concrete step and just busted my nose right open, blood gushing everywhere. I'm unconscious. I'm walking around the railroad <laughs> station going, hello, hello, is there anybody, hello? So did, now that years have passed, did you get paid on that? Oh, yeah, I, I really pushed out on that. You know, I went for the easy money. I only, uh, I sued the railroad. Uh -huh. And I, you know, got like twelve grand. I had to give the lawyer a piece. I walk, right. only walked away with about nine thousand. So you wish that you would have really stayed with it? Yeah, I should have. But at the time, I really needed the cash. Right. You know, it was a. Uh, and know. I had threatened on the air to testify for the defense. Yeah, but for the like, railroad. What? Where? What standing did you have at all <laughs> to testify? You weren't there. Any of the times you fell down drunk. <laughs> But this was not a moment of uh, inebriation. This was, um, even though you didn't believe me, of course, but I was stone cold sober. I was on my way to my place of employment. You now, don't show up at work under the influence. Now, the, the time that you got the orange ball of failure, <laughs> and that was your last time doing stand-up, right? 
Yes, it was. It was your last time doing stand-up. Who were you opening for? Oh, uh, uh, Jim Norton. So you went there. Yeah, Jim. Jimmy asked me to open for him. And uh, you did how long? Well, that's kind of up in the air, exactly how we played the entire actual set long. On the air. You know, because I was on and went off again. You right, know, after, he came uh, back. <laughs> Rich Voss, you know, kindly brought me back on to that. Yeah. It was about 45, 50 seconds. In and out <laughs> with just the fucking booze going. That was it crazy. Was... And he had bought a brand new bright orange shirt. <laughs> I still have it. Yeah. And I was like, I, I looked at it and like, it's kind of like the icon in my closet. Oh, I yeah. love that shirt. That is a legendary shirt. The Orange Ball of Failure sh uh, shirt. I want to thank you, by the way, for blowing up the article that was written about that <laughs> into like a 20 by 10 poster, Fez, which there, you know, was really nice. There was nice. a review in a Jersey paper of the disaster that happened, of the whole show, but it was focused on Billy. And The whole for, show wasn't a disaster, just Billy's part. Yeah, just like Billy's Norton part. wasn't even there. <laughs> he hadn't even shown up to the theater yet. <laughs> and for some reason, the picture in that article that they used of you was the train incident picture of That's your right. busted up face after you <laughs> fell on the train station steps. Well, then remember when he made up the fucking lie after that? He was so distraught that he told us that he drove straight to the Poconos, got on a serving tray that he took out of a fucking hotel, used it as a disc, went down and fucking hit himself. Only did we find <laughs> later, it was another time that he went off the wagon. And you made up a long fucking lie to me that went on forever. You belong in a fucking celeb no. rehab. Look. Like everybody else from Long Island. That thing is the Long Island celebrity rehab Look. This, this time. I... Had a bad time. Right. You know, that was a, one of those instances where you react. Right. And I reacted. I had a rental car. I took off and just headed west yeah. in Pennsylvania. By, I think, Thursday, you guys found me. <laughs> and uh, Ron called me, and I finally spoke to you on the air. Yeah. After, like, uh, Fez, I'll never forget, Fez was like, you know, you have a job, Billy. <laughs> and they were looking for the rental car. Yeah, I had forgot to tell them that I was going to keep it for a little bit longer. And um, the, the wagon, the wheels came off that rental car wagon. And I was just going from town to town to town, just drinking my way mm. across Pennsylvania. I took Billy to a meeting once. And afterwards, the guy Just said, once. Yeah. <laughs> the, afterwards, the guy said to me, they go, uh, dude, uh, he's going to drag you down with him. Don't you fucking stay. He ain't doing anything right now he just is fucking on a constant line he wouldn't take me again i heard <laughs> that yeah. guy he wouldn't even tell me where the meeting was because it was a uh like celeb meeting it, was, it wasn't advertised mm -hmm. it was only like the uh you know the privileged few like me you and him and stuff that we got to go to he went to a really great meeting and these people were like um no He's, they said, he is going to drag you down. And I'm like, I thought we didn't turn people away here. Yeah, really? They go, oh, we're not turning them away. <laughs> he fuck? just ain't going to do it. Oh. He is not going to fucking, you know, he's still out there. There's, they wouldn't even let me share. I'm like waving my hand. Well, you, you know? were drunk, Billy. You were fucking loaded. Nobody wants to hear a slur. Well, you know, what? Now, you're back to drinking. 
it's not back to drinking, Ron. You know what? I've came to come to a realization in my life. Mm -hmm. When you get to a point where you have actual responsibilities, right? You can still enjoy yourself on occasion. What responsibilities do you have? Um. Well, uh, I have a dog. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Billy. <laughs> this is Billy drinking on the air. Ah, ah. That is not fucking fake. This was Billy on the floor. Ah, ah. One of the scariest fucking slam times. Star ever. just trying to get a sentence out under, you know, the influence of the evil rum. Um I don't drink rum. If I if it was something that I normally drank, you know, something I was used to, I just wasn't a rum drinker. Otherwise that would never have happened. Mm. Here's our buddy Gvac. Gvac. Good afternoon, gentlemen. It seems like old times. Yeah, it is. What do you say, Billy? Hey, my only friend on the Twitter. <laughs> the only, your only follower? <laughs> the only guy who will talk to me on Twitter. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, always like, I don't even think I'm doing the damn thing right. I think I'm only twitting myself half the time. I'm always saying, GVAC, is this right? Are you actually reading this? <laughs> It's true. Uh, man, Mikey boy stole my thunder with that, with that wiping his ass with Dukes' paycheck. But, that was huge. But the, the, the other great thing I remember about Billy was him leading those bar crawls that we did. Like right after 9-11, we had mm -hmm. those bar crawls. And unbelievable, man. I mean, what a ride. He was like the Pied Piper leading this merry band of drunks all around, you know, Manhattan. And, and he was an absolute riot. I mean... I will tell you well, something else about the night of 9-11... Uh, people could not get into the city of New York. They had pretty much shut the city off. down. Uh, Billy Staples got on a train in Long Island, and everyone was told, get off the train. You're not coming into the city. Billy hid in the bathroom. Like a terrorist, but laid on the floor of the bathroom, coming into New York City mm -hmm. on the night of 9-11 on an empty train. Uh, I will never fucking forget that dude. Yeah, that, it was actually scary too because the only people that were allowed in were firefighters, emergency right. workers, and medical personnel. And here I am. The only thing I have on me is a WNEW uh, business, you know, the, yeah. the employee card. So no, I shut the bathroom door and like crouched down up next to the, the toilet, those stinky toilets. Like you always do. Yeah, but this time... <laughs> this time for a reason. Yeah, because you weren't allowed past a certain point going west. And I actually found out later, if you got caught doing that, you were getting arrested. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. But I was sitting at home watching this on TV unfolding, and I'm like, wait a second. I'm in radio. I'm in... The, <laughs> this is the business that right. I'm in. Why am I sitting at home? When my duty is to be on the air to my listeners to help them in this time. I mean, like, right. anybody can sit at home. You know, people need to hear a friendly voice, a voice of reason. <laughs> you know, a voice that they're used to in a terrible time. Then you start it's... drinking at Charlie O's that night, oh, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot <laughs> no, about that. Voice no, of reason. No, no. Yeah, that was the other thing that when one of the times he was going to fire, get fired over his drinking, he came to me and he goes like this. Ronnie, it all started on 9-11. I was like, come on, man. You can't fucking pull that far. You can't pull 
was a fucking 9-11 card. <laughs> right from the bottom of the deck. Yeah. But it was real. All right. It All was right. Another break. It was real. I actually, but you have it a little wrong. I actually never even made it to the station before I started drinking. Mm -hmm. I had to walk down 8th Avenue from Penn after, you know, sneaking in. Yeah. And that was very harrowing, you know. Right. And then to get into the city, actually, and, you know, that feeling. And yeah, like, the weirdness. Yeah, everyone's walking this way and I'm walking that way. And bars were yeah. the only thing open. And it just kind of called me. And I'm like, you know but what? I called need you to be, last night and two weeks ago. <laughs> the, was it the, the, the girls losing the soccer game last night? <laughs> what? They um, call you on speed lost? dial. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. What do you have? A TiVo? You missed the game? Uh, all right, G-Vac. Talk to you later, buddy. Take care. Twit me. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. But that night, Ron, yeah. when I'll ne this is like the beginning of that Tom Cruise movie, Vanilla Sky yeah. or whatever. When Times Square in the very beginning was yeah. desolate. I remember leaving the station because we were on later, and I slept at the station that night. For yeah, the we stayed guy. on the air until like one or so. Exactly. That night. And I remember going out after the show trying to find an open bar. <laughs> yeah. And I'm walking through the streets. They're empty. 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 Not you, a person. You not a cab. You could have bowled on 57th Street. It was surreal. I mean, take away the drinking and everything else, but just to be able to look down Broadway. But this is the uh, the guys that we had in those days. Billy came in um, like that on, on the train, and the Hawk walked over the 57th Street Bridge. Those are um, hearts. This is like the, if you don't know um, New York all that well, you've seen this bridge in like every single movie. That bridge was actually shut down. And people were walking out of the city over it. Yeah. And the hawk was coming in the other direction, like in some crazy movie <laughs> that Mel Gibson is going, you to know, save towards. someone or whatever. Uh, I always remember you two guys showing up that night. It was when I heard Hawk did that, um, it was like the bridge, I think, that Godzilla got caught in at the end of the movie that mm. they said was the Brooklyn Bridge. But it's one of the few bridges you can walk on. And it's just like a tremendous, Well, you just tremendous. mentioned the Brooklyn Bridge you couldn't walk on. Whatever. <laughs> and you can walk on the Manhattan Bridge. Yeah. Okay, I know one bridge then, all right? <laughs> and you can walk on the G-Dub. Mm -hmm. That's on the other side, all yeah. right? But when I heard Hawk did that, I mean, that was... And plus, he walked from his house. Yeah. In a little... Some, Long Island City. Yeah. Long Island City. He walked all the way to the bridge itself, and then from, over the bridge, and then to the station. So I'm like, way to go, Hawk. I'm like, where are the other guys from our show? Oh, yeah. Where yeah. are the other, you know... And remember, they were always the outsiders after that. The men, yeah. Where are the other yeah. guys with the heart and the, you know, the You soul? were indignant about it. Yeah. I'm like, but we all were, like, really bonded at that, at that fucking time. And then when the other guys would bring up, like, hey, you know, well, no, you weren't here for 9-11. Billy never <laughs> fucking refused not to bring him up. Yeah. The night and like, oh, well, you know, there was drinking. no way to get in here. I'm like, I found a way. You did? Rory was on Long Island. He was like, well, you know, this and that, and my dad wouldn't let me go. And, you know. <laughs> well, my, his dad my, was serving high tea. My, yeah. And that's why I wish that Fez would have checked on you more, not just Rory. Well, it was, uh, a, it was a man-child relationship <laughs> over there. <laughs> it was almost illegal. Yeah. Um, here's uh, our old friend Hot Liz. Hot Liz. Hey, 
Hi, guys. I called. I wanted to say hi to Billy. It's been a long, long time. How are you? Great, Liz. You still hot? Uh, what do you think? Of uh, course. I, know she is. <laughs> I know she is. It's like great to hear your voice. Of course, yeah. I just want to tell you too. When GVAC, I think it was GVAC that just called with the ball, the bar crawl and stuff downtown. Oh, those were so much after. fun. It was so much fun with even that. And um, I actually, I actually spoke to Mark the other day. The psycho Mark the other day for the first time in a while. Psycho we Mark. Actually, His yeah. apartment was almost at uh, ground zero. Yeah. Yeah, he was right there. Because we, we were living down at Dwayne, down, we were living on Dwayne and Church at the time, right downtown. And um, I actually had gotten out of the city, and I, I was doing the same thing. I had gotten out on the 11th, and he couldn't get back into, he couldn't get back to our apartment. So I was doing the same thing on the morning of the 12th. I was like one of like two people on New Jersey Transit trying to get back in the city to bring him clothes and do stuff. And then I was only supposed to come for a day, but ended up just staying up there for a week again. Just because the bar crawl was that weekend, but guys, you you were like the Pied Piper that night, like you said. We had we so used to, much fun. We, we, Thanks. What Thank we you, used Liz. to do for people around the country is suddenly all the bars were just empty, and they were all going out of business. So we would get our listeners, and while the show was going on, Billy would take them the bar crawl, the bar crawl, so that we'd send in a hundred or so people, and they buy a drink in each bar. And spread the wealth a little bit. And we all had on our Ron and Fez, Love yeah. New York, uh, yeah. Bar Crawl t-shirts. Yeah. And it was it was all of us from the old days. Remember, it was Ink Girl, I think it was. Who? And remember that? Can that mean stop us. coming up already? <laughs> Everybody that was on that Bar Crawl list, that's the name that you bring up? <laughs> Enough! <laughs> I just remember because I'd never met her before that, and she kept and she just kept pointing out. She was like, "Wow!" She's like, "I see why." I mean, I don't mean to chew my own horn, but she, I guess she was a little tipsy that night because she kept going, "Wow, you are really hot, aren't you, hot?" You really. Uh, well, she you was really into chicks too. Yeah. Which I had to laugh. I don't know if your phone screeners knew or is young and didn't listen to the show, but I had to say who I was three times. He didn't know who I was. No, he's just a boy. He's a baby. He's he a baby. Is, he's oh. just a infant. Yeah. I, and I also wanted to tell you, Ron, today is my one-year anniversary of Con sobriety. Congratulations. Nice. So, yeah. You know what? I think I got a few chips. So, I wish I would have known. It sounds like you're getting a cake tonight, huh? Something. Yeah. <laughs> Something, yes. My boyfriend, too. We got clean together. So both of us. It's one year today. He was your uh, boyfriend from rehab? No, 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 no. I've been with him for like three and a half years. I you knew him before that. You know, Liz, you're no. really not supposed to do that. I'm surprised that, you know, you're really not supposed to have rehab relationships. No, we were together beforehand. We've been together for, like, three years. Like, we, like, we were both using, like, recreationally when we met and then picked up a habit together and then got cleaned together, like, separately, not at the same place. Mm -hmm. Like, we talked separately and worked everything it's out. It's amazing you guys have been able to do that. That's a wild ride to take. It was, but everything is great. Um, just got another new teaching job for the fall. Um, getting another room in school, getting another master's, been clean for a year, and again, not to sound, not to... Toot it, baby, toot it! But I'm, but I'm still hot, too, so... Of course you're still <laughs> hot. Yeah, but you got a boyfriend. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, <laughs> and what was it, Mark? <laughs> 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 what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, I just want to say hello, I love you guys, I miss you, I gotta come up and see you soon. Yeah, come and see us anytime, babe. Take care, Billy. It's nice to talk to you. You too, Liz. All right, bye, honey. Wow, I forgot about her and Psycho Mark. Yeah, well, that's not bring it up. She's not with him anymore. Yeah.
I remember going to Psycho Mark's uh, support party that night. That was when I really got drunk and went on ONA. Shock. Do you have any fucking stories at all that didn't start with uh, then I got really drunk? <laughs> Even your fucking AA, then I got really drunk and went to AA that night. Yeah, but that's good. That's the one thing that's really weird about going to AA. Mm -hmm. They actually will take you if you're drunk. Right. Which is something I never really got the concept of. You know, when somebody would show up drunk, I'd be like, that lucky bastard. <laughs> when I'd be sitting there. Like, See, that's why it never really the talked to you. The Not the fact of, like, oh, look at this poor bastard sitting here and he's drunk. You saw it as a good thing. Yeah. I'm mm. like, who the hell dragged you in here from a bar where you were probably having a great time, you know, you still had money in your pocket and buying rounds and doing shots and, you know, girls, you know, taking you for every penny. Surprising that sobriety didn't stick to you, Billy. I know that's crazy. All right, we're going to break here. We got to let uh, Hicks uh, catch, catch up. up. Uh, the Unmasked comes on at 2 o'clock with Paul Provenza. Paul Provenza, you can see his new TV. Well, it's not new, but the season is new. Green Room. Green Room is on. We break. Back. Run a fish show. show your chance to get on mass tickets sandra bernhard sandra bernhard uh is the next unmasked go over to unmasked show unmasked show on twitter to check it out of course two or two friends always will have a link uh coming up we will play the paul provenza unmasked and do me a favor uh if you hear paul on the show and you join the unmasked give him a tweet uh, we'll put a link up on 202 Friends. And I'm going to check it against the link, uh, the names I read earlier. I'm going to check it against those names and see if the same people are up. Uh, Billy Staples sitting in with us. Billy Staples. And Billy, I know you got this kind of uh, gash across your nose. What's going on with you? Yeah, ironically, it uh, looks somewhat familiar to the uh, previous wounded picture. But this is... Different. I actually got hit by a train. Who, a train hit you? Yes. How'd that happen? Um, well, I really wasn't looking and paying attention, and the train kind of came out of nowhere and hit me in the face. You were on the train tracks? Um, no, I was in my house. Serious? I was in my house. So this is like a toy train? No, it was a Lionel um, train from 1960-something, the old... Yeah locomotives that were made of cast iron who hit you with it uh my nephew in the from the attic how long uh how long have you had this bruise on him it happened three days ago three days ago and uh it fell right down like from the 10-foot attic and i'm looking up to get handed the box mm -hmm. and the bottom of the box broke and like five of these trains we waited it was like seven and a half pounds by train you mean jack daniel's bottle <laughs> Did you get smacked in the nose with Jack Daniels bottle? No, this was actually a 
a guest iron locomotive that I was actually started just telling the story of him when I was a kid. My dad would put these little pellets in it that mm. would make fake smoke when it went around the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, tree. I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had this whole Lionel set, which is probably worth God knows what. Probably days. a million dollars, Billy. Yeah. and um, Or two Bendels. But they're not mine. They're my sister's. Mm. Anyway, this thing hit me, knocked me out. I was laying on the ground. Again, blood all over the place. Took me to the hospital and started having some kind of neurological thing. And they wouldn't believe me when uh, they were saying that I got hit by a train. <laughs> they were like going, okay, no, what really happened? I'm like, you were looking at a train? You you hit yourself with a train? You know what? You were in the attic and fell on a train? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, a train fell on me. And I actually wrote on the paper, assaulted with a train on my discharge. <laughs> they actually thought my, uh, my, my ex hit me with the train. That's what they thought. And that's how well, I got I guess, all these wounds. Yeah, I guess they always have to look out for that, though, right? I yes. guess anytime someone goes into the hospital now, did, you know, were you touched, were you hit, were you hurt? Well, not a child. Yeah, you know? but you have the mind and capacity of a child, right? Mm. I would, your your you know, brain got a little fucked up from the last accident. Yeah, well, I have half a brain, but, you know, it's... Um, did they cut some of it out, or did some of it just die? No, some of it stopped, actually. The uh, part of the right hemisphere, they did a, uh, what do you call it, one of those, uh, a PET scan. And uh, why do they name these things after animals? It, it actually was the greatest Beach Boys album of all time, PET scan. <laughs> now, half of Billy's brain died and it was the part of the brain that tells you not to do something that's the part of his brain that just dissolved no it's 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 great to look at on a pet scan okay it'd be great if it's somebody else's mm -hmm. you know but one side is like all red and yellow and it's supposed to be all red and yellow around the fringe mm -hmm. of the your brain as it pulses and that means it's working properly if it's not the other side of my brain was like all yellow and it's just the it's not uh, met, uh it's met metabolic rate is that of a brain? 70 year old man do you have piss brain are you worried about turning uh getting um like alzheimer's are you freaking psychic hmm. seriously are you <laughs> that's what they diagnosed me with early stage alzheimer's is that what you have no um I went for a neuropsych testing, and she says, I say, I show no signs of dementia. That's crazy. You showed signs of dementia <laughs> fucking 20 years ago. No, I mean, and this, no, she's a PhD, Ron. And uh -huh. come on, if you can't believe somebody with that many initials after their name, you know, okay, so what? A video imaging shows more red than yellow and more yellow than red. What are you going to do? The PhD told me, she goes, your brain was so intellectually superior to begin with mm. that the one half is making up for the lack of action on the other half now you wrote to chris stanley and offered to sit down and coach him you don't really feel like he's doing a very good job producing the show or who you mean chris? stan stan yeah stan stan the man you call stan yeah it's not, you oh, don't feel okay. like he's pulling off a very good job for himself Look, I couldn't tell you what kind of job he's pulling off, but if you have somebody like me right. in here, why would you not, you know, take advantage of it? I mean, I was a little disappointed with, you know, my 
greeting and what? the way I came in and, well, well, you know, no so party favors, here, you know. Here was the problem, Billy. You were 45 minutes late. No, you're supposed Things to be happen. here at I noon. I emailed you a week and a half ago. Stan, you're an pr intern producer. <laughs> intern? <laughs> Fuck you know, that. I, you know, I deal with the top. Okay? okay. You know, Fez talks to me, then I respond. I understand. Okay? You know, it's a ladder. you got to work up to my level. Okay. Well, now, you, why were you... Uh, why were you angry that he actually wrote to you? You said that you only like to go through Ron and Fez. You don't like to go through Stan, the producer. Come on, Ron. It's a, it's a, it's a pecking order. I see. You know, I made my bones. You did. No you doubt know, about it. In a harder time, not True. in this cupcake environment where you don't have to prepare. Right. You don't have to have bits ready and try to pitch them in the office and right. worry about what the... P the the P Diddy yeah whatever he's doing and the promotions girl stealing your stickers none and, of that stuff happens here no I mean you don't have to worry about you know are we gonna finish this break on time and how much you know no. and is uh, Rat Finger getting through or like later boys Tony or whatever the hell his name uh -huh. was when you would rip me a new one every time he got through and then I got was the harmonica tougher, I was tougher on you guys than I am the. These guys just get a quick sale through. But with you guys, that was very, very rough on you. It was a professional environment. Right. We prepared for a show. Right. Four hours a night, five days a week, we had a show ready to go. You considered it the best in the country at the time. Without a doubt. Mm -hmm. And it was the only problem was, it was that we took that time slot and made it the best it had ever been in WNEW history. True. We even beat the friggin' Yankees. Not okay. in baseball, though. No. <laughs> Just in no. the ratings. No, well, you know, they have a bigger payroll than we did. But mm. we mm. beat the ratings right. that they were getting for the New York Yankees in the tri-state area. You kinda, Think about that. Well, I, I, I mean, that is absolutely I, I, amazing. I've got other things to think about. We had the team own. of all teams. Yeah, we did. We had, we had the dream team. Well, we didn't have Stan then. So. <laughs> that was the problem. We That's why we had the team of school, all teams. Yeah. Right. No, but I've offered my services to Stan. While mm -hmm. I'm here, you know, you don't realize what it's really like to produce a show. And... Maybe you could try to help those guys get it into their head a little bit. No, this is the first time you've said a word. Yeah. The whole time I've been here. Yeah, I'm you, a producer. I'm hanging out. Oh, so you're not really, they don't think of you as actually a part of the show? No, it's I, not I the same way not. it was when it was with oh, you. Okay. Where you were seen, as a producer, you were seen as an equal mm -hmm. to the show. Yeah. Uh, they're not I ready for that the, yet. Okay. I was your go-to guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was the guy. You went, you know what? We... I used to say, get me staples. staples. Yeah. And you would come off of screening phone calls, which, by the way, uh, None better. Billy could fucking screen phone calls like nobody. And it wasn't just a matter of, let me find out who you are. Yeah. Billy would be yelling at them, come on, you can't be funnier than this, you don't have something. I mean, no offense to the fucking people here. The New York callers blow everything else away. <laughs> they actually used to co-write the fucking show with me on a fucking daily basis. It would... It was a, a snowball rolling down a hill. Once it started, these callers were amazing. You yeah. Know, this was it. What's your name? What do you got? But okay, you were. But you know, Stan. On the other hand, his life, well, is one of ease. He's a gentleman oh, yeah. doing gentleman work. Um, think of him as a gentleman rancher, <laughs> where he wakes up late. He has high tea. Sure. He gets out and looks over his ranch. <laughs> 
I mean, it's a nice life he has. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. And you don't know Angry Ron. You only no. know gentle, loving, giving Ron. Oh, mm -hmm. Ron and I, a couple of times, right outside the studio door, you came busted out like this when somebody got through, and you and I are going face to face well, with it, and I quit twice. We One always the boy tracks yeah. me down at Penn Station. <laughs> <laughs> we always expect it. it. What was expected then was greatness. What is expected now, and this has nothing to do with Stan. Place Stan is really terrific. Well, you're in alone. You're alone here. Sometimes. Yeah. But there's nothing to do. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, there I is nothing. nothing. Not like do, you had no. to do. You had push to push a button, turn a switch, switch yeah, a dial. Boom, you know, the tubes done. go. Whatever it is. Speaking of which, uh, coming up in just a little bit, Paul Provenza unmasked. I hope you guys enjoy. Just in about. Mm, uh, let's go up to the top of the hour. Now, if you do, do me a favor. And give him a tweet, because I like the people who have uh, been on the show to hear back. Um, Carlin, you're on Run Fez. Hey, how are you, Ron? How are you, Billy? Good. Hey, Billy. Man, you're coming across as an arrogant prick, man. You really are. And I, I'm sure you're not that way in real life, but man. Well, that's exactly how he is in real life. <laughs> this is <Okay>. Billy. <laughs> well, well, then let's say this. I'm Carlin from Ohio. I'm calling you out. Fuck you, Billy Staples. You're an arrogant prick and leave Chris Stanley alone. Well, here's the thing, and this is why I why Chris Stanley's the real deal. He understands Chris Stanley knows when he's been on the back of Giants. Billy Staples is a legend. He is a legend in Thank this you, business. Stan. Without a doubt. I love the man. And I love the radio that he did but for N W and the Ron and Fez. You were show. a big listener in those. Oh, things. I loved it, yeah. That's why I'm here. I was for a little you. high school kid listening to the Ron and Fez show every day after all throwing fucking a. hopped up oh. on whatever fucking pills you can steal. Oh yeah, Clonopin. Uh, <laughs> what? What do you Oh <laughs> You don't have Clonopin in your pocket, do you, Billy? How many pills they got you on now? Six. Oh, Jesus Christ. You don't know whether you're coming or going. So Ron, why you're forty. You and I can I can, you know, take you down that road. I don't want to go down that road. I want to fucking seriously stay sober. No, pills don't aren't don't count. This is why you you couldn't make it at the meetings, Billy. Pills count. Not if they're prescription. I mean, if you buy them yes, on the black market, you know, if you get them illegally from Stan's friends or something, they're you know, the same pills. There's no difference in those <laughs> pills. They're the exact same pills. I don't get arrested for bringing my prescription to the pharmacist. All right. No, that isn't Yet. what. And same reason that you won't get arrested for buying a six pack of Miller High Life, but people still end up in in meetings about it. Uh, about six minutes away before we uh, break. Do I need to um, push anything else tonight, Stan? By the way, Stan is a terrific <laughs> producer, and I love the kids. Thanks, I do. Thank you. Um, do we need to promote anything else? Just a mess with Sandra Bernhardt. Go to our mess show on Twitter. Oh, very excited. It can't wait. Way to pump wait. it, Stan. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Oh, boy. See, in the old days, Billy would really go out of his way to promote this. Mm -hmm. It's a different generation, Billy. I mean, I had, I had to adjust to it, too. Mm -hmm. You know? You were on the... I mean, you were the type of guy that had to fucking hide on a train to come in, like a World War II fucking hero. Well, These guys come up in a different way. They come up in a beautiful elevator, <laughs> 36 floors. Express. They're into a, uh, you know, immediately they get free barbecue. Mm -hmm. They sit down and help themselves. It's really Lady good. Lady Gaga in here this morning. It was great to see her. They pose for pictures with mm -hmm. her. It was fucking awesome. What songs did she do? Oh, she did uh, her two new singles. I believe it's called like Heart of Mine is the first one, the one yeah. that uh, she did with Clarence Clemens. And, and what? The Late. 
The late Clarence Clemens. I'll help you this thing. Thanks. Seriously, appreciate it. No yeah. problem. And Edge of Glory, she did too. Oh, yeah. And did it both on piano? Yeah. How many people were out front today? Oh, at least two or three hundred people just, just fucking... fucking and inside, too. They let them inside because there were too many people on the outside. Why would they let them fucking take up our lobby downstairs? Um, did that guy really call me an arrogant prick? He did. He called you an arrogant you prick. You just now heard that? No, I'm just realizing he's from Ohio. I'm like, what is it, like on tin cans or something they still get? See, that's a good comeback. I wish you would have... In the old days, you would have had it immediately... But now it's still good. It's still good. See, this is a lot of. Uh, this is what was missing, and this was, you know, what where I really feel that I cannot separate myself from the past. Right. There are so many people out there who haven't shared me. Right. Who haven't been able to enjoy or you know partake of this rapport that the three of us we have do. always shared. We've always had it. The you magic. were the first people who put fish in my mouth. You two guys were mm -hmm. the first people who ever put a piece of raw fish in my mouth. Well, you picked it up yourself, but we said this is sushi. Um, Want to eat some? But yeah, I guess you could. That might have been big. Um, here's uh, Bob. You're on the fuzz. Oh, radio shark. See, some of us talk about not growing up. Right. Come on. <laughs> nice uh, job, Dip. Pip. The uh Billy Billy now drinks around the house. Billy Billy. Billy Billy now drinks around the house. Your money's no good here, Billy. <laughs> Don't please, mind him, please. he's just drunk. Please. Oh yeah, we had so many <laughs> drops. <laughs> I don't remember if I came here to get drunk <laughs> the Las Vegas. Well, we've got to uh throw this unmasked in a couple of minutes. But from what I understand, you're going to be back and we're going to do the 9-11 uh, anniversary show. Uh, well, was Earl with us that night? I believe he was. It was night. I night. couldn't tell. All right, that's racism. Uh, but let's try to trace down, uh, track down the hawk for that as well. Will do. Um, no sense getting in touch with Rory or Al. No, they did not make it no. in, so they will not be invited to that show. Was Wonder Boy even with the no. show at that point? No. Pooh? What about well, Joe we Pooh? had no interns in the no. building that night. No more in the building at all. And um, But we still work with Jeremy Coleman, who, if you remember, got us a sandwich platter. It's 9-11. <laughs> I want you guys to have a sandwich platter. And I'm like, we're in here every night. We could always have a sandwich platter. Don't what send me to Amy Roots down in Harlem, for God's sake. Oh, we were starving. Uh, we were it was good, then. though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually wanted to let you know, yeah. Jeremy Coleman's letter that he sent to us, actually, I can't believe everybody got it, but it was sent a uh, thank you for the 9-11 time and oh, all you, the you effort. That? I have it framed in my office at home in my little Ron and Fez staple shrine. Well, with the Lizzie Grubman mobile and everything else. Bring that in with you when we do the 9/11 uh, show. More than glad to. All right. Very uh, important to me. Paul Provenza coming up next on Unmasked. Do me a favor. Uh, if you're on the Twitter, and why wouldn't you be? Even Billy Staples rocks the Twitter. Although you've mo moved on to Google Plus, he's always he's one in the step. Staples R&F star. Yeah, that's what he calls himself. Staples R&F star. And Fezzi he is. But uh, he uh, sent a tweet over to Paul Provenza 
and said that you enjoyed him on Unmasked. Um, particularly everybody whose name I read off. People like uh, uh, Comatose, Time Goat, B-Tone, Ronnie Moron, Doc Hyden, uh, Hammond of Texas. Come on, I don't want to have to go through the whole list. But, uh, you know, I want some of these folks to know that they're being heard. And uh, Prevence has got a great show, uh, Green Room, on Showtime. All right, uh, we will throw it in. Billy, great to see you. And we'll be uh, together in a little more than a month yeah. for the 9-11 10-year anniversary show. Does he got anything you need to plug? Uh, no, just go to Unmasked Show and on Twitter for to request tickets for Sandra Bernhardt. That's coming up Monday, August 1st. So that is it for us. We will break. And when we get back here... It will be Unmasked with Paul Provenza. Thank you, Billy. It's the Ron Fest My show. pleasure. Wow. Dude, you got like a serious, serious full crowd here. Sure. This, uh... This speaks to the unemployment problem in America. They're, and these are your people. These are your exact people. These are the people. They're like, I don't want to go to any other show. I just want to be here for Paul. And I said, why? And they go, because he wears his own shirt. Not a lot of guys. You want to hear a funny story? No, you want to hear a funny story? I would never do, I would never do that because I'm, I'm so self-conscious. One of the reasons why I'm still toiling in obscurity is uh, because I'm really bad at self-promotion. And I would never do something like this. But it's so fucking hot in this town. I'm like Cher. i got to change my shirt three times a day. It is. And I ran out of T-shirts. I'm not taking them out of merch. I, I, <laughs> seriously, I, I'm, I, I cannot believe how much I'm schwitzing in this town so is that the bag is that your merch bag that you carry with you no that's where I keep my drugs oh no no wonder you're sweating I'm not kidding <laughs> uh, I'm so glad to have you come in thank you I, it is a treat thank you for having me seriously I'm always blown away and shocked and suspicious when somebody actually wants me to talk about shit I'm doing <laughs> yeah. well why is that? I mean, you've been doing this a long time. Why I've been doing this, this a long time. Nobody's ever given a shit. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, what do you people want? <laughs> I know something's up. Well, it's like one of those Yankee things where you think you're getting tickets to the Yankee game, and then the cops come in <laughs> and look through your bags. Don't, don't think I didn't do some research to see if you had anything to do with it to catch a predator. <laughs> well, I do want to talk, of course, about Green Room. This is the sexiest mic I've ever had. <laughs> We hear that constantly. It's the strangest thing about it, but a lot of people are turned on by that mic. Yeah, I've never seen a mic like this. It's yeah. awesome. And that's the same one Lady Gaga used when she was in here a couple weeks ago. Smells like meat. Yes. <laughs> which is the name of her live album. Which is, it's, it's, which it's is also great. the name of my autobiography. Now, you wonder why you toil here, and you say, but look at the title of the book. Yeah, you see, you see, I, I've, I've actually seen, you know what I did once? I, uh, I have, uh, you know, cards announcing the, the book, whatever, and I just once, I was on a subway and uh, uh, late at night and there weren't a lot of people on, so I just left cards on all the seats. Right. And people were coming in and they were going, I sat 
Tyrese. <laughs> it's a Tyrese. It's a Tyrese day. It's because uh, of Apple. Right. Now the upside down exclamation point, they think it's something by Apple. Right. Because it looks like anything. <laughs> But you go uh, with which was interesting because they were Latinos. Yeah, <laughs> but Satiristas right up the bat. Apatow names his funny people. You know what I mean? Like he gets it out there. I don't. I don't think. He can I, has can the I just say, can I just say that if I knew that you were involved in career coaching, <laughs> yeah. I would have been here yeah. way sooner. <laughs> the 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 book is actually I think the great thing about the book is that it presents comedy in a. Are you all right? I am. I'm Good. great. Right. Uh, but it, it it presents comedy as if it were important, which right away uh, scares a people. A little off. bit of a conundrum too. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It scares people off. But I agree with all the points that are made. I, I I think it is a very very important thing for any society. Well, you know, it, it's important, not important. Talk about subjective. You know, right. I mean, I, the people in Darfur could not give a shit about this book. I'll tell right. you that right now. Uh, but uh, it's my life. It's what I do. So you know, um, but but I I do think that I, I try to present. Not so much as important, but I try to present comedians who work in this particular vein as at least artists, mm -hmm. and and um, they support that or undermine that in the conversations I had with yeah, them. Yeah, some of them are very uncomfortable. With right, it. which is which is fine. Which is don't you touch me? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get. This is a new relationship. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get with fucking with the mic. They're all over you here. Uh, but you know, you bring up the four. If the four had its own John Stewart. It would become important to the four. I, th I think yeah, it's, it's you know you know what's interesting though is I I think of I, I was corrected many times by a lot of people in this book, particularly David Cross, when I said you know this is a time, this is the only time I can really remember where you have like hit TV shows that are all about like real satire, real critical mm -hmm. uh, a comedy of uh, critical of the political system and and media and all that sort of stuff. And, you know between Bill Maher, Stephen Colbert, The Daily Show, uh, a few other things, a lot of stuff on the internet. And I thought this really, I think, says something that, you know, that this is growing almost sort of as a movement. And uh, 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 David Cross goes, uh, so you're, you're completely ignoring Larry the Cable Guy? <laughs> <laughs> you're completely ignoring people who sell out stadiums and make $60 million, $80 million a year? Mm -hmm. When you look at Bill Maher's audience and The Daily Show's audience and Stephen Colbert's audiences combined, they don't even register on that scale? You know, and he's right. It's like, it, it is meaningful, but it's not mass appeal. Right. Meaningful. But at the same time, I, I uh, people won't believe this, but Larry, the cable guy, started a satire. I mean, he was honestly... Yeah, kind of, sort of. He honestly was laughing well, at the audience. And then he went, Wait, Is that true? Because I don't know him personally. I know him very, very well. Okay. And he started on my radio show, and I felt And so he like, was self-aware, and he was yes. actually parodying yeah. the people that now make him rich? Yes. <laughs> Which is maybe the greatest satire that's ever yeah, happened. I, I, I am so with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that that is interesting, but that brings up another thing. You know, it's sort of like uh, Andrew Dice Clay is an interesting example mm-hmm. to uh, to um, uh, bounce off of Larry the Cable Guy because Andrew Dice Clay actually was doing a character and was very aware of the character he was doing, and um, but he was excoriated for being that character, even though it was a character. Right. And he just wasn't able to frame it properly and say, no, this is this is a character. He's not that kind of guy. He couldn't yeah. really manage that. Uh, Larry, or, or um, Dan, uh, completely ignores that. Doesn't yeah. even address it because it's $80 million a year or whatever. Sure, and his audience isn't even as interested on whether it's real or not. I do, it's right. Because like they, yeah, because, uh, well, that speaks to, a, I think, a, a mass delusion. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I think Dice's audience was somewhat like, hey, is this a but joke that, or not? Well, but that, see, that's what happened, was that Dice started getting a crowd that didn't see it ironically. Right. And he started to get Andrew Dice Clay's in the audience. Yeah. And, and that that's a conundrum. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. But you know, Vonnegut had that thing about be, you are what you pretend to be. Right. You know what I mean? So at a certain point, when I think you take a character to the stage, it's you. you it, whether you're hiding behind yeah, it or that's not. And an interesting thing in comedy too, because Sandra Bernhard actually, Sandra Bernhard is doing a character. She always yeah. has been doing a character, um, and it's a character of who she wanted to be when she was growing up, when she was a kid. She said, "I want to be this sexy urbane." You know, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. Self-confident, whatever, whatever attributes you want to ascribe to her character, and I know they're subjective. Um, so she just said, "I'm going to be that on stage," and it changed her life. And she's basically be- became someone who has the life of somebody. Oh, like that. Right? She's like that at her house now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of amazing, and yet it, it makes. You know, total sense. It, it, it really does. I think the other interesting thing that you do in the book, and really, I highly recommend the book to anyone who's interested in comedy. But what is great is it's not just comedians. You right. you put writers in here. You got right. Randy Newman in there, and, and I even, think even um, even uh, Henry Rollins and Jello Biafra right. are in there for a specific reason. It makes sense that they're in there. And. And it really does make more sense to kind of lump those people together in one genre than if you went across. Because you, you could read this book and you go, God, look what comedians talk about. God and what the church means in this country and large corporations and what that does to us in government and who's really voting. It's just brilliant stuff time and time again. Not walking lockstep in different places. But then sometimes you turn on the young comedy special and some guy's talking about how small his dick is and how he wishes he could fuck better for an hour <laughs> and then the next guy comes on and does the same thing you're like right. What's yeah, well we couldn't get them yeah <laughs> but it's it's so strange that it all gets thrown under the same umbrella as right. well, but you know it, it's funny because it, it, when I when I explain it to people who don't aren't sort of living and breathing comedy in the pathetic way I am um, um, if you think of it as music mm-hmm. you, it, it becomes a lot clearer because it's exactly the same thing um, you know of all the people out there who identify themselves as musicians 90% of them are doing you know are in cover bands you know or jamming at the local bar on a Tuesday night you know it's the same thing with comedy a lot of people doing comedy are just cranking out product make their money make the people happy sell chicken wings and quesadillas mm-hmm. you know that that's really uh, there's a lot of people doing that just by sheer numbers it's the bulk of people doing that what uh, what we choose to talk about in Satirista is the people I choose to, to bring on to the green room are not 
of that ilk. They are, they are, they are people who I think are working more artfully mm-hmm. uh, uh, and thoughtfully, uh, and have interesting things to say and are worth listening to. Uh, but I always feel like it's important to to point that out. I feel like it would be disingenuous for me to talk about comedy and comedians the way I do without acknowledging that most of them aren't like this. Right. right. <laughs> you know? Sure. But uh, instead of railing against the people that. I feel are you know not doing much for the art form or for humanity in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would rather champion the ones who are and just try and give them a little more attention. And and I just love. I, I learn so much about about life and me and 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 humanity by talking with comics who who work really artfully. Well, you bring it up in the book, and it's true. Is like you can't do that art form and be stupid. You can't sit there I, and be an idiot and pull that off. I think it's true. Yeah. I mean, there are some people who do, but again, you know, that's the that's not the people we're talking about. But but um, I I do think. Well, first of all, I just think a comic viewpoint, a way of looking at the world that's slightly skewed, I think should be factored into what we determine is intelligence. Mm. I think that if you just look at the world and go, I don't understand this, this shit, something here doesn't make sense, that you should immediately go right up here in the in the scale. Right. <laughs> that's pretty fucking basic and fundamental intelligence to me. Right. If you can go through this world and not feel, not have surreal, insane clashes of ideas in your head, <laughs> you're retarded. Right. But the funny thing is, that's the first kid who ends up at the principal's office as almost the broken toilet. I always say, I always say this is like if you're, if you're, if your kid is uh, showing some prodigious talent in uh, music or athletics or uh, dance or art or whatever, everybody, the parents will get them tutors. They'll send them to the, the Montessori, yeah. whatever you know. And they go, oh, my child is. This. But if your kid shows prodigious talent in comedy, he's a troublemaker and get yeah. him away from those bad elements and he's got to sit by himself in the in the classroom is you know eh. it is true and I, I i'm gonna drop the big <laughs> david brenner name because i had him in here but we talked about the same thing of being in trouble and like you will never say have a teacher say your child is doing comedy on 11th grade level <laughs> um, Holding him back, keeping him in this class. But you would do that for any other art form. Exactly. Any other art form at all. Exactly. Um, And and this shit is broken is important. It's important for some kid to be able to go. Why is this lady talking? I was just I just did the um, um, insert name here used to be Elliot Spitzer show, Uh, (laughs) and um, it's a Tom Foreman I think was doing it, and he was asking me questions. I was giving my opinions on things, and uh, and he said, so what do you think we can do about this? Whatever I go, I don't have any answers. I'm a comic. I don't have any answers, but I can sure as hell tell you when shit's fucked up. That's that's my specialty. (laughs) My specialty is criticizing. I cannot actually contribute. But oddly enough, we do expect a fast answer, and I think that's why our societies kind of screwed up because we just want it turned around. You know, you know it's an interesting thing. You talked about that, you know, about kids, uh, you know, not being treated that way when they have a, a particular comic talent or whatever. In uh, a lot of ancient civilizations, and, and some not so ancient, uh, they made a place for satire and comedy. You know, there's um, the, do you know about the Hopi Indians? 
No. The Hopi Indians uh, have a uh, certain members of their tribe known as the Hopi Clowns. Uh, I think the word is the Hayoki or something like that. Um, and um, every year they would have a celebration wherein the Hopi Clowns, these members of the tribe who were uh, uh, considered the Hopi Clowns, the Hayoki, all year long they would observe the dynamics of the tribe and the, and, the, and the politics of what's going on and the issues that people have. And then one day a year they would have this celebration almost at the level of a religious celebration where the Heoki clown rule the tribe and they would mock everybody mercilessly uh, and they would do everything backwards they would walk backwards they would they would function backwards and they, they would they would literally go to you know the, the shaman's uh, place of living TP I don't know whatever and 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 mock him mercilessly and everybody would follow them around and they, they would just really just rip the shit out of everybody in the tribe and then the next day they would get together and they would actually make policy and address all the issues and it was through this comic clown-like behavior that they really that they pointed all the stuff out and they were actually given some respect for doing that and it was an important part of their social order um, and that goes back even in ancient Greece there was the um the um, uh, gang of I, I, I'm not sure is a gang of 900 gang of 600 gang of 60 gang of 60 I don't remember <laughs> anyway uh, it was these people and they were actually a, a, um, a pseudo um, uh, official kind of a, a body who would their entire function was to mock the people in the Senate but mock the government the democratic government and they would do it in you know various theaters and temples and things like that and, and again that stuff would be brought into the discourse because they were speaking the truth and they were Showing things that people can say. A lot of cultures have made a place for comedy and mockery and, and really essentially satire right. really um, uh, and, and a, a real that it served a real function and we don't do that and it's the same thing uh, I don't know what this says use your own judgment you connect these dots how you want but it's the same thing with altering states of consciousness uh, civilizations all through history have always carved out a space to alter consciousness with with drugs whatever peyote thing whatever they would they would be almost again in a sort of religious way this was an important part of growth it's an important part of being a human this was an important part of relating to other humans and in the western culture modern culture we have eliminated that can we've demonized it we don't right. create a place for it so any insights truths or humanity or growth that could come out of that experience is minimized and distorted and we've done the same thing we've also ostracized you know mockery and, and, and satire in general I mean we're, there's no question that comedy is fighting power structures sure well as far as like like, you know, being able to do hallucinogens or whatever. Paul, it's not every day. So, <laughs> there's a big difference between, like, being the shaman and going out and bringing the wisdom back. But I think where America went was, like, hey, let's do it and watch TV. You know what I mean? Like, I But that's a chicken and egg question, though. That's yeah. because of the way we frame it in our culture. Right. I think, so there. No, no. No, I'm with you. But I just say, I just think that we got fucked up on it somewhere along the way of like, let's do this and play video games where the original guys were like, let's go out, watch God blink his eye, come back and explain, you know, things to people. Uh, yes, but that's yes. a chicken and egg question. Yeah. 
You're not getting. You just want to get high. Doesn't matter what else is happening. No, no. I'm yeah. just saying that that if if a place is carved out, it's it's given right. the experience given is given place. respect, right? As opposed to being demonized. You know, we might have the kind of thing where, where, where social groups would get together and have some sort of a spiritual experience, or right. some sort of a some uh, self aware self awakening uh, through these various things that have persisted through thousands and thousands because of years. Because here's the other side of that I think that. Also, besides having a place for satire, instead of doing that, we expect everybody to be entertaining, no matter who they are. Whether you're a politician, a scientist, you're always supposed to come out and get a laugh first. And we've gotten very, very strange with that, I think, that we expect people to entertain us no matter what they're doing and it's really worse, brought the level of entertainment down. Even, even worse <laughs> than that is audiences now I find tend to have a, um, uh, a sense of entitlement that is just infuriating and <laughs> oh my god despise, despise them in that, in, in, no no what, what I mean is just that it's like you know when I when I when I go to see any artist whether it be a comedian musician whatever I'm there because I want to see what this artist wants to do I want these artists to right. take me on the journey they want to take me on uh, a lot of comedy audiences want you to take them on the journey they've had in their own head mm -hmm. they want the comedy that they already know in a in a you know vernacular they already understand and if they don't get it they're pissed off they want their money back it's like you know that's what I mean by sense of entitlement it's uh, it's it's well we do this because I think Hollywood has went what does what does the audience like and let's give it to them like look at a an action film in the 70s so much different is from an action film today yeah well going from stand-up comedy to yeah. talking about the movie business is a huge leap one has yeah. nothing to do with the other I mean it, it does at some point but uh, that's industrialism Hollywood is just industrialism television is just industrialism if it, all all networks studios anybody that's mass marketing any form of entertainment all they are is mining other people's talents and artists and exploiting it for their own economic end, their own economic game. That's all it is. So when you go into comedy, you really have to make a choice at some point. Do you want to be selling yourself as a product or do you want to do art? Sometimes art can get really, really successful and you can make shitloads of money and live like a king and sometimes you're me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but comedy is one of those right. things, you know. It, it's, um, I mean, you know, the, the comedians that I like are, you know, your Doug Stanhopes, your your Tim Minchins, your Stuart Lees. I don't know if you're familiar with Stuart Lee from the UK. Um, um, I like people who I just never know exactly where they're going to go, and it's always brilliant and interesting, you know. Um, I like people who challenge. I like people who play with uh, uh, unobvious ideas and uh, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that's not Hollywood doesn't know how to make money off of that. Okay. So you're saying you're expecting the audience when they show up to see comedy to not act like uh, we're going to the MSC theater. You want them to have to be way more open than they would if they went to go see any other type of entertainment. I, I, well, I don't know, more open, but certainly at least as open. Right. But, but, you know, as opposed to being spoon-fed junk food, mm -hmm. I, I like, and I gotta, I gotta say something. This is, this is the first time, I've been in this business for 30 years. I'm, I'm 100. And, um, <laughs> uh, I started, I started when I was 16 or 17, and, um, uh, you know, I've done the sitcom garbage, I've done some good television stuff, I've done, 
theater, been you know touring for decades, and all that sort of stuff. And I've had a lot of really a huge variety of experiences in uh, in comedy. And um, uh, you know when you when I started doing comedy. The audience. We're talking about mid seventies. The audience was an audience that was that was going specifically to see something that was unconventional. There was not a comedy club in every strip mall, you know, in the, in the country. There was not, you know, comedy was not mainstream other than the people who were, you know, big on television or whatever. Uh, the 70s kind of comedy was really subversive because it was post-60s counterculture. You were talking about, you know, what led to Saturday Night Live, National Lampoon, uh, um, you know, a lot of interesting credibility gap you know, on the West Coast. Uh, really interesting. Fire Sign Theater. Uh, Derek and Clive had just been c- coming over on bootlegs. You know, uh, uh, Groove Tube was was you know out in theaters and, and Kentucky Fried Movie and those weird ca- just comedy was really subversive. It was countercultural. That was the movement that I came f- that I came up in. Mm-hmm. And those the audiences that went to see that were crowds that didn't want conventional mainstream things they wanted they wanted jazz they wanted cool rock, rock and roll that nobody had heard of they wanted they, they they wanted something different it's been marketed to within an inch of its life it's been institutionalized to such a degree that now audiences go the same way they go to any franchise TGIF or or, or Applebee's you know um, and that doesn't interest me because that's not about comedy that's about that's about mammon you know and I'm not that, that, if somebody makes a decision that they want their life to be about making as much money as possible more power to you as long as you know yourself and you know your choice you know right. um, it took me a while to get comfortable with the fact that I am only going to get one out of every thousand people that see me only one of them is actually going to be interested in what I do and um, they're all here today <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's <laughs> see, I think see that would have been much funnier if I went they were both here today <laughs> Well, we'll cut out the one part and I'll fix it both, edit the whole thing together and be nice. But, you know, most people go, oh, you know, the, particularly because I do think that you have a very high standard. A lot of people that will have your standard will go, look, if we bring it to the people, they will love it. It's like people have been trying to push independent film as if you yeah, know, it's yeah, so difficult. Yeah. But it is the audience at the end of the day that said, I could work a little harder. I could sit there and go. That, that's what I'm saying. This is what I love about thank you for having me on your show because this is exactly what I mean and you know Doug Stanhope's a great uh, example of this too I mean he really walks the walk on this also he doesn't even play clubs anymore he'll just like people will just get together raise enough money in a book and they'll go play their backyard I'm not, I'm not kidding to me that is beautiful you know um, and um, but, but the internet right. shows like this you know we don't need I certainly for me it's really not cost effective emotionally cost effective <laughs> To go on The Tonight Show and reach 30 million people, for, I know that of the 30, 30 million people, only like seven of them are going to like me. You know, So what am I bothering going through the rigmarole to have to communicate to 30 million people what isn't really me because it's been filtered down and watered down and stepped on all over the place and like bad drugs. And um, um, uh, But on your show, on uh, you know, podcasts, doing Mark Maron's podcast, Greg, you know, um, just that's what it's about. That, that right. to me is like, if three people go you know if I spend an hour with you and three people go hey this guy's interesting I want to check out his stuff that's probably more successful than me going on The, the Tonight Show mm. 
And you brought up Marin, who kind of took this interesting thing because he started that podcast just because he didn't kind of know what else to do. That's and then my entire he, life. Yeah. <laughs> but once he started doing it, people were like, oh, this is what, instead of like when he stopped trying to go in and do a real set on TV, right, 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 he right. suddenly got more interesting. Right. Well, people. that's, that's kind of what happened to me in that um, I, I turned my back on everything. I left the country. I was mm. <laughs> like a refugee. I, I left the country and I, and, I, and I started working over in the UK. I wanted to go someplace where I didn't have to reinvent, where I could just explore and not be judged and, and there was it's a whole different thing about the business there and all that stuff and then all of a sudden I ended up on the, the international circuit and doing international festivals and, and getting booked in gigs and I'm doing 90 minutes at a, a cabaret in Paris you know mm. and, and, and Rotterdam shows doing comedy in Amsterdam and, and China and Hong Kong and just it's the coolest thing it's wet list you know money isn't great but if somebody goes okay you, you got a choice you work in Hong Kong for X or Dayton, Ohio <laughs> for X plus 100. <laughs> you know, I'm going to Hong Kong because uh, the guy who runs the club there, uh, there is also the distributor of absinthe. This <laughs> uh, was a delightful perk. Starting to be a theme with you. And that was an... <laughs> I am turning into I am turning into uh, Charles Bukowski. Yeah. Uh, seriously, the older I get, the more I'm, I'm like a radical. I seriously, you know, I'm like really tight with Paul Krasner. He and I get together. Let's riot. Let's do a riot. Let's have a riot. But um, 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 so I turned my back on all of it just to get back to to the you know what I love. When I started doing comedy, I didn't care about any of the stuff that all of a sudden was funny. Here, I I got to share this with you. This is my philosophy. This is how. <laughs> this was my great spiritual epiphany. <laughs> you know, I have a pretty light, nice life because I'm not particularly mercenary. But I mean, you know, I'm certainly doing better than most people and uh, miserable. And I was just, just, so I'm sitting in my, you know, in my house and uh, I can see the ocean and I wake up and I go, I, I, I'm just miserable. This, this can't be right. This can't be right that I could have this right in front of me every day not w have to worry about food on the table and yet I'm miserable uh, and I just, uh, I just kept trying to think what is it, what is it, what is it and I, I, it dawned on me that really I spend an inordinate amount of time in my life with cunts <laughs> <laughs> just people who if I had a choice I would not be spending that much time with and I thought I, I was very confused and frustrated. And it's like I, I, I was paralyzed. I couldn't make decisions because everything was just like, nah, that sucks and that sucks and it's too shitty. And I knew that I was self-sabotaging in that way. So I said, well, uh, okay, so I'm going to make a decision. Every time I have a decision to make, I'm going to make a decision. And here's the parameter. The choice I make is going to be the one that takes me further away from cunts. <laughs> and you know what I learned? If you do that enough, it doesn't matter where you end up. No cunts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the honest look. That is my philosophy. Seriously, yeah. I make the try. I don't give a fuck about the money. You know, it, 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 it just. Uh, as long as I can get by and keep doing it, uh, you know, I want to keep doing it. It's just greed that makes everything miserable sure. in my life and in everybody else's life. Not necessarily my own greed, but greed. Greed is, is the most evil, horrible trait of humanity. And it's what runs the entire entertainment industry. And so I'm not interested in the entertainment industry. I, I just do my thing. And then if somebody in the entertainment industry says, hey, maybe we can do something with this, that's gravy. Right. And see, the thing I think where unhappiness comes 
comes from you're cruising along like that and you're like having a great life because you're doing what you want and then someone will point out hey somebody else is doing something but they get more people than you or they're making more money and immediately this life that you had that you were happy with becomes like Oh, this sucks. I'm being really fucking ripped off here. The, the, <laughs> what it used to be in the 80s, it used to be like, hey, I got the Tonight Show. They go, um, really? Uh, um, with Johnny or a guest host? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, then I said, and then it's like, hey, I got the Tonight Show with Johnny? Yeah. Oh, you can first guest or second? <laughs> and it's like, I got the Tonight Show with Johnny? Yeah. First guest or second? First. Are you, are you spot or are you doing panel? <laughs> and it never fucking ends. By the way, the panel thing is great because you've brought back, I think, something that Carson kind of was known for, is having funny people together. The Carson used to bring people on that nobody ever heard of. Right. Just because they were great guests. They were yeah. great conversationalists, interesting people. I know. It's and then he would also, I think, feel like, I'm going to put these strange people on the couch. Nobody can leave. You want to you come on and sell your movie, you're fucking staying. Right. You know? right. right. And now, like, people just come and go, and it doesn't really matter where you turn on the shows but when you uh, I mean, does anybody tune in to any of those shows and go wow yeah yeah it's like right. really the, the lead guest is the wife of the next door neighbor on a sitcom I didn't even know was on yeah what, I, I don't get it it's all just promotional material it's all yeah. just greed 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 it's what Spider-Man on Broadway fuck them <laughs> fuck them <laughs> fuck them I want everybody to fall off a bungee cord and die <laughs> fuck them there's absolutely nothing about Spider-Man on Broadway that is motivated by anything anything not an iota of anything but fucking greed <laughs> I'll get Bono a call. <laughs> but why would you think? I mean, once you've got the point where you've you've got that kind of money, why do they need to put Spider-Man on? I'm sorry, I lost my contact. No, just, uh, <laughs> this is a, this is a radio show. We're doing visual jokes on a radio show. I'm telling you, I do prop gags on radio, <laughs> and then I wonder why I'm here with you. <laughs> Later, somebody will never have him back here again. <laughs> we don't do that. You carry a cigar just as a guest? No, he's right. You have no idea how much my respect for you is just growing. I'm always right. You never know when that'll work. I, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. I want to get back to some, when you were saying that you've taken this uh, new track for yourself and going out working internationally. I was very happy to see that you used Tommy Rhodes in your book. And Tommy's another one who did what I did. Yeah, he, he's done the same thing. But uh, and people should look into him. But he was a guy that did everything the right way. Got his sitcom and and, and was so young. Right. When they put him in that machine, right. they fucking chewed him up and they spit him out and they treated him like dirt. Right. But it made it, but he's the kind of guy who just brushed himself off, looked at everything around him and said, okay, I'm going to do this the right way. And he looked at his values. He looked at what he right. cared about in comedy and everything. Yeah. Because he was cursed because he was so cute and good looking when he was a young guy. And he well, was the original hair. haircut comic. Yeah. He was the original haircut comic. And MTV just chewed him up and spat him out like he was in fucking Menudo. It was tragic. <laughs> And he, we say like, okay, he went off and found himself. Still took him several years of what the fuck yeah, happened to me. Yeah. What did they do? Did they do something wrong? Yeah. You know? And that's the, yeah, that's the thing about the Leno. The, I, I know I fucked up. I used, here we go. Yeah. Uh, um, I, you, 
I'm afraid my mother's going to yell at me for screwing up the table. Really? I, Man, I'm telling you, damage runs deep. Yeah. Um, um, uh, this is the thing that's interesting to me about the Leno Conan thing. Right. It, it means nothing to anybody, and it was really shocking that it got all the attention that it did. But this is the only thing about it that, to me, means anything. There's something operatic about the fact that Leno is a guy who, really, if you look at what every choice he made, every step he took, every made, every every move he made, it, I'll be following. Um, um, they're all right by all the fundamental all-American apple pie Walmart values. You know, he's a company man. They pay him to do something. He does what they tell him to do. He, you know, he works for his, respects his employers, always checks with them about whatever. They want him to do this. They want him to do that. Well, you know what? Leno comes out looking like the asshole because that system is corrupt. Mm. And that's what's interesting about that to me is that if you really look at every choice that Leno made, he did the righteous thing. And he's a dick because of it. Right. You know, in a lot of people's eyes. I mean, I, Jay's a beautiful guy, and, and, and I, I don't see things the way he does, and that's fine. And he's ultimately hugely successful. Sure. But those are the things that he cares about and the people that he wants to reach. So I'm, I'm not judging him. I'm saying that that, that represents how corrupt the system is, because if you, do, if you, if you, if you toe the line, you're going to end up doing some re really shitty shit. Yeah, and, and really... By he, the way, shitty shit is a great phrase. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I just don't want to let that to go by. The thing with Jay is that he came off sounding like I was just being a good German. I was just, you know what I mean? That, like, that's the like perfect the, analogy. It was it's like, the perfect analogy, yeah. And people sit around going, oh, he's sin the sinister guy, but it's who he tried to please. And but you, those are the values right. that come with buying into the right. fucking system. Needing to be in that one spot. Like, I can't be happy unless I'm sitting in this one chair doing comedy there because obviously when you were like struggling to be a comic Jay had mastered it very early on in like the 80s I mean he was really Jay was actually the MC on the first night I ever performed is that right the improv yeah he was always good Oh, phenomenal. That's another thing. Uh, can we say, I don't think we can say that enough because what everybody knows, uh, two, three generations, two yeah. generations at least, that have come up knowing the Jay Leno on The Tonight Show. Can we, yeah. They don't believe it. Which he was one of the best stand-up comics I have ever seen in my life and I've seen a lot. It, it, true or it's false? It's really, no, I saw, Unbelievable. I saw Jay kill a room as hard as anyone. So I mean, great. just take the room and shake it and people go, I don't know what to <laughs> fucking do with myself anymore. And all the, no, uh, it's a true. bunch I'm of comedians would, would look at him. People would walk out like aching. He was so funny and, and so he's such a and great performer. Just everybody would be, you know, doing what they could to copy him. But then Joan Rivers had this line that really struck me. She goes, "Name a, a Leno quote that you can do from the Tonight Show. Do from some, the Tonight Show, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you've ever said. Holy shit! Did you see the Tonight Show? Jay had the best line because he's, you know, he's decided." What I did before was killing smaller amounts of people, you know, but really reaching them. Where now I've got to somehow touch everyone right. who's alive on the planet. Right. I think his piece in Satirista is very interesting. It is. Um, you know, because he does really, he does really justify his choices. And you got to sit back and go, okay, there's nothing, really nothing wrong with that choice. Except, it's just anathema to me. But even when I'm reading it, I'm going, but do you really believe it? You know what I mean? Like, do you really well, believe it, Jeff? I will tell you that he does smart from criticism. Yeah. It really does, it really does hurt him. And, and that's why I, 
I feel like I've slammed him. I really don't mean to. Right. I, I'm sort of slamming, you know, television more than, than I'm slamming him. There's nothing wrong with the choices he's made. He's certainly not hurting anybody. But um, uh, um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> We'll be right back with more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you also talked to Conan in the book. Yeah. And I don't know if Conan came off that much better than Jay and that whole thing. They both were going for the same bone, you know? Yeah, but Conan talked about it as artistry. Mm. About what the kind of comedy that he likes and the kind of comedy that he cut his teeth on and the kind of comedy he responded to and what he does. Right. Leno talks about it as marketing. Jay talks about it in the book as this, you know, I, I, I don't want to alienate people. I want to, you know, people come home after a hard day's work. They want to enjoy themselves. We do something else. We, you know, make fun of both people so that nobody gets upset and all that sort of stuff. All in terms about being liked. Right. You know? Jay wants people to feel comfortable and then, you know, go off to sleep. It, it's, it's a perfectly reasonable choice. And yeah. I, think, I think the fact that he's self-aware is, you know, mitigating, really. Mm. It's just, it's, you don't like it or you like it. But I do think it speaks to, um, I'm a real, I really like the subversion. I right. really like subversion. I fucking love it. <laughs> I, I love it when the guy is protesting motorcycle helmet laws and he falls and he hits his head and dies. <laughs> I love it. I just, you know. Well, to go back to late night, doesn't it seem like only the Comedy Central guys are doing the show that they themselves would want to watch. Or uh, you mean like uh, Daily Show Colbert? The Daily Show and yeah. Colbert. Those Tosh, guys, I think Tosh is doing really funny stuff. He's uh, going at a at, from a whole different a point whole of view. different thing. But he's, he's also a generation right. younger. You know. And the thing that I do like about him is you you turn it on and you see him laughing and you see his people laugh and like they don't. It hasn't gotten fucked up yet. You know. Yeah. And, but he's and he's also really subversive and dark. Yeah. I mean. In, in, in his own way and his yeah. stand-up is gr I love his stand-up right. I, I, to listen to a stand-up CD right now to me I'd rather have a coat hanger shoved up my, shoved up my piss hole <laughs> but I listen to Tosh's and I go this motherfucker is seriously funny and twisted right. I love it I think he's really great so you uh, this is another thing about your your show that it's not just some look um you know, you have an elevated comedy. This thing, it's it's a constant flow for your comedy. It's, Young it, guys are welcome. Then people, can, yeah, you know, yeah, um, the audience can contribute. The audience mm -hmm. is, you know, the thing we're striving for on, on, on the green room is some authenticity because that's the thing that that's really what we're talking about here, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the Tonight Show, Letterman, all those, even even Kimmel Conan, they're all just they're all part of that industrial machine. There's no authenticity there, and and I really think that like the most subversive thing that we can do right now is be authentic, right. And I believe there's like two generations that have been in this world where technology, you know, has gotten to now and television and media has gotten to now. I think there's like an entire generation or two that have never actually experienced sincerity. Yeah, it's oddly scary. And, and what happens is when they see sincerity... They think it's a gag. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they can't get their heads around it. They're not familiar with it. You know, right. it's like a weird creature. I, I really I really feel that in like big, big, strong uh, waves. Right. Um, uh, and so on the green room, we're just trying to be authentic and, and to such a paranoid degree that the audience is all people that you would have found in a green room at some point or another. Right. Which doesn't mean these are people 
that should all be together at the same time. You know what I mean? That's the beauty right, of comedy. Right. But I don't know, I'm, ta I'm talking about the audience. Yeah. I'm talking about the oh, crowd in the, the, the green room. Themselves. Are people that you would find in an actual green room? There's other comics. There's actor friends, writer friends, right. showbiz friends of comics. Uh, you know, a few agents and managers and, and uh, some bookers and uh, a bunch of people from Australia who work at festivals over there. You know, um, my fucking sound guy from Edinburgh flew in to hang out at the shows. You know. Uh, um, so they're people who really are savvy about comedy and they, and they know what they're doing and I wanted that A because I really wanted to feel like a green room and I knew that they would make every or they would make all the comics you know, you know would raise their game in a big way sure. because they know they're not going to get away from the hack with the hack shit because this crowd is really great right. <laughs> you know and they'll call and, them um, on it uh, and, and, well, yeah kind of yeah. they won't respond to the same kind of stuff you know and um, um, and so in that context everybody really feels comfortable I just the way I describe doing the show is to get comedians to really break down who they are and what they do and get away from their act and really have real conversations is a lot like trying to get pandas to fucking captivity <laughs> <laughs> it's really really hard if you're just a degree off in temperature or you know saying nothing's happening you know so you're just right so we really manage this this scenario in such a way that and every comic on the show has felt it immediately they felt it immediately well one of the better moments on the show was was a disagreement I think between uh, Penn Jillette and Tommy Smothers and Tommy Smothers yeah, yeah. and what worked there is that even after it was over the, the uh, angry match between them I'm not even sure I knew who I agreed with I, I got both points and, and we don't care right that's the show has no agenda other than just to have have the conversation. That's yeah. that's the sort of that's the politics of it for me. I mean, to, to me, even a show just sitting around bullshit and having fun, the, the where it becomes political for me is that people are talking and they're talking freely, and we may not have answers, but we're putting a lot of dialogue out there that people don't get to hear publicly, and it may even be stuff that they say with their friends, yeah. but they can't believe that you know anybody would say it publicly, or they have you know they just don't get to see it that often, and I think that's really political to just say you know what this is all the shit that people aren't supposed to talk about I don't understand why we're not supposed to talk about it, it seems to me like that's the way to maybe actually have some progress made Yeah. and if being funny and talking about it makes people at home laugh listen to it and go you know I don't agree with that and having this is a funny thing about this is my whole thing on comedy I remember, you know George Wallace right sure I, I love I hope he's listening to this but um, I love George Wallace and George is um, he's different now I mean his work now is a little bit more um, varied than it used to be but he always he used to eschew politics or any anything sort of polarizing it would just be funny and um, I went, and he's such an amazing performer it's like he's like a like a Baptist preacher you People know just, just love like, him immediately oh my for god some he's, first of all he's six foot nine he's you know big just loud voice and just an amazing presence and his performance is so great and um, uh, and and the audience loves him loves him it's like a, it's like an emotional experience seeing George Wallace live and I would talk to him and I go George I, I you know I, I how do you how do you do what you do like what I, I just how do you do it is it do I have to be six feet in black do you know six feet six and black in order to get this kind of act is, is that what it is what is it and he said you know my philosophy is this people work hard all day blah 
blah blah. Same kind of Jay Leno thing. Yeah. Uh, he goes, but he just say something interesting. He said, "This room full of people will never exist again. This is a once in a lifetime thing. This room full of people that don't know each other will never be in the same place at the same time again." And he said, "So this is a unique experience, and I want it to be a unique experience for everybody. And I want everybody to share the fact that they're all together sharing this right now means a lot to me, and I want everybody to walk out having had a great time and feeling better about life." And I thought that's the difference between me and you, George. <laughs> I want everybody to have a fucking fight on the car ride home. <laughs> and so that's sort of part right. and parcel in the green room thing. Is, you know, I don't care who you agree with or don't agree with, but this dialogue is really interesting, you know, I think. Was there that time in your life that you thought, I'm at a crossroads between being an entertainer and an artist? Is there some point that you said I could go in either direction? Um, yeah, I was talking about this recently, too. It's like, th this is the problem with... with I've, I've always felt this way. I've always felt alienated. I've never felt part of the thing. I've always felt outside and never believed that I was actually part of it and accepted by any of it. But I was like a light-skinned black person in the late 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> I could pass. Right. <laughs> right. So I would end up on sitcoms and I would end up getting corporate gigs and I would end up, you know, opening for music. I hosted a kid show. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids were great fucks. Did you? Um, <laughs> only some of them. Just some of them. Not all. Um, no, that, it was a little bit of a subversive kids show, though. But anyway, so, so that was the thing, is that, that I've had the experience of having some degree of acceptance in the mainstream thing and the whole thing. And I was miserable, you know, mm -hmm. even when, I mean, I was, on, I, I was on one sitcom, and I went into the, the producer's office, and I said, I, I, I have to leave. Show. I can't do the show anymore. I, I said, it's clear to me that you guys don't really know what to do with me. You're, you're kind of struggling to service the character. You know, I said, so I'd like to leave the show. And they went, you can't leave the show. You have a contract. And I said, then sue me. Because I'm chewing my skull up from the inside. My TMJ was through the roof. And I said, I have to leave the show. They, they, I said, sue me. I don't care. I said, you have to get me off the show. And the guy goes, you know how many actors in this town would kill to have this job? I went, that, that's it. <laughs> to you, it's a job. This is my life. I lose credibility with myself right here if I continue to do this. You know, and I just walked off the show. Um, We're going to move this. To do some, I, I walked off the show to do some construction work. No, I, uh, no leave it! No, stop it. He's, leave it! He needs to master it. I can manage this! Um... Seriously, we're pushing buttons here. <laughs> um, uh, um, so yeah, so so yeah, there were times like that, but I didn't know what the hell else to do, and I felt, and it also, it also, it kind of came to a head to me, kind of late in life. I mean, I was in my forties when when I realized that I'm on a train that I did that's going someplace I don't really want to be. So I ground that train to a halt and got off and forgot that there's no other train coming. <laughs> <laughs> And that was a great opportunity, much in the same way Tom's, Tom Rhodes' journey right. has this aspect to it also, is to sort of find out what I cared about. And that's when I started. I went back. I mean, I, I had a resume a mile long. You know, I, I'd been... Uh, and I'm going to the UK, and I'm doing 10-minute open mic spots, you know, because it was pure for me. It was... 
it was real and I could get back to feeling what I always what I felt in the beginning which was I just want to get on stage and be really good mm -hmm. I want to get on stage and, and, and be and be a, you know, do comedy that I like and, and, and play with what's happening with the audience and everything and uh, I went over there and, and um, was immediately able to well it, it, at the time it was really very much a meritocracy over there if you were good you could work and not necessarily be a star make a lot of money but right. you'd work you know um, uh, work steady and that's all I wanted I just wanted to do I wanted to do comedy that had nothing to do with show business I, I was so sick of it and um, and that was huge. And through the course of it, I, I realized that I, I am so much happier doing this. And then I started doing festivals. I developed the green room at the Edinburgh Fringe. We did it there uh, two years running and, and then brought it to Montreal each year. And um, I had no idea that anybody would ever ever did you just uh, do really it on stage just yeah just, just did it live yeah, yeah just, just did it live yeah. yeah yeah and um uh um just got fortunate that showtime kind of they kind of saw what what it was about i went in there they they were big fans of the aristocrats and we ended up selling the aristocrats to hbo so they were always they had talked about was well, there something else we can do that's kind of like the aristocrats and we kind of batted around this i'd been having i had this idea for the green room for a long time actually comics only in the 80s mm -hmm. was sort of a, a very sophomoric iteration of this you know where um uh, that was a conventional form and then would usurp it like it, they, it was it was a tonight show format but only comedians because I, I said i always watch the tonight show only for the comedians i don't give a fuck who else is on it yeah. i watch for the comedians and the rest of it is boring to me so what if we just had comedians on a tonight show format and that was a great way to sort of get a handle on the show and then we just refused to do stand-up <laughs> and i would come out and try to do a monologue and it would get it would get usurped somehow every day some really funny stuff one time I, i'm doing a monologue and i'm pretending like i can't I, I can't deliver the joke and i go backstage and i hit this big this big red thing it says in case of comedy emergency break glass and i break it and steve allen comes out and does a monologue <laughs> I mean, like seriously wacky yeah. shit. I'd be doing a monologue, and there'd be like some hubbub backstage, and I'd go back and go, "What's going on here?" And the guy, the writing staff, which is Fred Wolf, John Ross, uh, Tishon Shannon, who was writing on Saturday Night Live. Um, they're all like uh, complaining at the craft service table. I go, "What's wrong? You got you got M and M's, you got pretzels, you got potatoes." He goes, "It's the it's the Jello. Look at the Jello." And we, I go down to the Jello, and there's Rip Taylor sitting in there, joking, <laughs> sitting in the Jello thing. Just <laughs> so there's all these really bizarre, weird things uh, as justifications for not actually doing the monologue. So we, we really had the established form, you know. Um, um, and then, but then it's it sort of um, uh, it wasn't quite the freewheeling. Con, you know, uh, way of doing it that we do on the green room. So it was, an, it was an idea that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to have, I always wanted to somehow convey to an audience the experience that I have when I'm hanging around sure. with comics and comedy. I mean, it changed my life. It hit me in really emotional ways that, you know, it's like, it's like you know, when I first, when I first became part of a, a, a community of comedians hanging out at the Improv or Catcher comic strip in New York, it was like, um, Judd Apatow actually describes the same experience he had in, in Satiristas. He describes it as the, the, the bee in the Blind Melon video. It's just <laughs> all, of a, all of a sudden walks into the field and, oh, look at all the other bees. You know, yeah. All the other people in bee suits. You know, that was like, it was like a dog run. And it's like, oh, look, look at all these people from my same species. 
and um, uh, and that was really like life changing for me, you know. Um, uh, so I had really emotional responses to a lot of my experiences just being in the world of comedy, not so much comedy per se, right? But this mindset, this this like skewed experience, community. yeah, and to be in a community that didn't judge you by how fat you were, how attractive you were, how uh, you know whatever it was. That none, if you were funny, it didn't none of that shit mattered. I was like, this feels like justice to me. Yeah, this feels like truth to me. <laughs> right. You know, so I've always wanted to somehow give an audience that experience. I thought that's really that's a part of comedy that's sort of meta. You know, right? It's really funny. I've never heard anyone else explain it. Where anything will be acceptable. As long funny. as it's funny, because yeah. sometimes you'll hear, oh, God, you should see the guy, he's so funny. He's the worst racist you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Beats women, and you're like, yeah, that's right. But he's hilarious. Yeah, but he's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And as yeah. long as you meet that is one criteria. Musicians are like that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what a dick you are. If you can jam, man, right. you, you get the props. You, know, you get the respect, and you're accepted. Which is why, you know, when even sports was trying to, oh, can blacks and whites play together? There was never that problem in music, you know right, I mean? like, right? Right, right, right. As a matter of fact, a lot of a lot of the movement towards um, civil rights in America has a lot to do with the music industry, with musicians. Sure. Yeah. you know, I'm, Frank Sinatra right, of all right, people. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, ma a huge, major, you know, force in that kind of stuff. But that you're you're right. The and musicians the never thing, had that issue. And it wasn't a matter of like, hey, can we bring blacks downtown? Whites would just fucking head uptown. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. this is where the real shit is. Let's go. Exactly. And they would, you know, some, and then, you know, the, the crowd would go. And then finally it just started to, you know, move back and forth, which is, you know, in an odd way, if, you know, you talk about subversiveness, Bill Cosby being on television. Unbelievable. I'm so though, glad you're bringing this yeah, up. He's probably never done a political thing on TV in his life. And yet people watch Cosby and went. This guy is great. Yeah, you know, it was amazing. He did what Roseanne says is the most powerful thing: is is you take a radical idea and bring it middle. Right. And that's what he did. What he did, he was probably more important uh, in this regard than even Dick Gregory. Sure. I, um, I um, and by the way, uh, um, P.J. O'Rourke of all people, very sort of conservative, uh, more libertarian, but conservative-ish uh, kind of viewpoints about things. He actually, of all people, really surprised me. He said comedians actually had a massive impact. A lot of the questions we ask in Satirista mm -hmm. are like, does any of this matter? Does it make a difference? And he said comedians actually had a lot to do with the civil rights movement. You know, when comedians went on television and started talking about civil rights and started talking about issues of being black in America, yeah. uh, you know, they were reaching an audience that no, none of that discourse had ever touched. Uh, they were really reaching people, and people started to think about it. And what Cosby did that was so brilliant was rather than talk about the differences between us all, he made white America in the most racist time, yeah. you know, uh, um, in, in America. He made white America sit there and go, "I had the same thing happened to me when I was a kid. Oh my God, that's the same thing that happened with my my parents used to say the same thing to me." So what he did was actually bridge the gap, and for the first time, white America was identifying with a black American on national television and that was the most subversive and 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 profound 
thing that anybody could have done at that time. So you're right. Now, Cosby deserves a lot of props for that. Now, everything that you said will get said again the day after Cosby dies. Then everybody will decide, oh, now we can go back and look at it. But it's so odd to me that you'll see some kind of list and Cosby is not at the top of these things. It's insane. It, it, it's it is insane. I don't know what list you look at. <laughs> well, a friend of mine makes a list. He's uh, three blocks away. It's great. You have to stop by sometime and see his list. No, you're right. He is actually... He, he actually <laughs> Are you flirting with me? Yeah, I look. Just a little. <laughs> yeah, but again, that, that, all that, that just comes from a different way of looking at comedy. You right. know? But, I mean, the average person, I suspect, looks at comedy as just pop culture fluff, mm-hmm. you know, disposable. It's just out there, you know. Um, but some people really do kind of get well, more out of it and see it resonating in different ways. You know, even to go the other way, Seth Teresa, I think it was Penn Gillette that brought up that liking Abby Hoffman yeah. from a comedic point of view. Right. And I identified because I read those books when I was a kid too and thought this guy is really fucking with the establishment without really wondering what would be next, but just thinking this is funny in the way that I would find the lampoon funny. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you really, I mean, you, you that hammer is a lot easier to take sometimes when you wrap it around comedy. Yeah, and, and, and I think, it, you know, that's one of the things is that I think we have real license to do and say and be a lot of powerful things and ideas in mm. comedy that we that are, are simply not possible in many other popular art forms. I mean, you see it in theater, you see it in, you know, avant-garde dance, whatever you see it in, you know, in literature, absolutely. I'm not saying that nobody's out there doing really interesting, you know, saying provocative things. Right. But comedy is so... Carlin used to to always say, I'm a vulgar performer. Mm -hmm. And and he'd say, when I I say that, what I mean is vulgar in terms of of the people. That's what vulgar means. Vulgar means populist. It means, you know, the working class, the lower classes, everybody, the general population can get this. Um, And he says comedy is a vulgar art form. It's an art form that is not... Um, uh, not segregated by being a high art form, so it speaks to people of all different, uh, you know, um, demographics, different socioeconomics, race, whatever, uh, and, and that that in conjunction with the fact that w- what comedy has inherently is the ability to do and say all those things that are that can be profound and meaningful, gives me the sense that I I believe that if you're gonna if you're good at this art form. Uh, you really should take on that mantle as a bit of a responsibility. That's just me. Well, the the beauty of it is that Carlin never, and I don't know whether he ever had the choice to sell out, but he just never did. I mean, it was, you know, he never was welcome into Hollywood, you know, culture. I mean, he stayed out there, and here he was, an older guy, and the last comedy special, you can see him weekend you know physically weakened. Uh, he had also he had also had serious heart problems and, and you know and he still was one of the toughest guys in the world and certainly in my opinion never preaching to the choir cuz i saw people turned mm-hmm. off yeah, turned sure. off yep, that yep, had been yep. fans of his 
for 30 years going, I think he's gone too far You're with absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, and then even more amazing than that is that he was 72 years old, and he had 15-year-olds in the audience who had yeah. just discovered the work he had just done, mm-hmm. and 55-year-olds who remember him from 1976 and have right. been fans forever, laughing exactly the same way and exactly the same material. You name another comic where that's true. No, it is true. And I, and I really, really, that's a profoundly important thing about Carlin. And you know, uh, even when you're going back to talking about things, even if he never did a, another thing, when I listened to the Class Clown album when I was a kid, yeah. I was like, all right, I know a lot of the shit I've heard is bullshit. Yeah. This is yeah. fucking... And I really, I mean, it's like, I don't have to worry about being fucked up about priests and the same whatever thing. anymore. Same thing, yeah. To me, it was like, you know, I was, I was already into comedy, and I was like, I was like, you know, it was all things comedy, all things comedy. And, uh, you know, when I heard Carlin uh, in his reemergence yeah. with AM right. and FM, you know, I mean, I'd seen him as the, the straight-laced guy and, and, and loved him and thought he was cute and silly, and that I love cute and silly. I'm following now um, uh, someone on Twitter called Common Squirrel uh, and it's fucking hilarious Common Squirrel just tweets run 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 scratch scratch stop and stare run 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 hide it makes me cry it's so stupid and funny and uh, so I loved Silly and I loved yeah. Carlin but then I saw this this you know this um, um, monarch butterfly emerge from that cocoon and it was like I would imagine if you were a, a, you know a, a guitar freak as a kid hearing Hendrix for the first time it just changed everything for me and I came from a really strict family my parents were like and whenever I would of course I never I would always get in trouble because I can't shut the fuck up but um, you know and I would say something and, and, and uh, you know it's a, I would basically say something that my parents would hear as why is everybody in the world doing what they do? That's fucked up. And they, and they would say to me, whatever it was, they would say to me, oh, I see, everybody's out of step but you. Is that right? <laughs> Everybody else is wrong. You're the one who's right. Is that, is that how it works? And I would go, me, I'm worth nothing. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then I saw Carlin, and I thought, you know what? It is entirely possible that everybody else is wrong. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact, but it's an entirely possible scenario. And it just opened up worlds of possibilities for me, and it made me really be okay. He gave me license to not think the way everybody else thought and to know that I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who had millions of people following him. I go see him at Carnegie Hall, thousands of people freaking out, loving him and everything. I go, it's not just me and my <laughs> retarded friend. <laughs> it definitely isn't just you and your retarded friend. Green Room uh, is the TV show, and really, if you like comedy at all, you've got to pick up this book, and not just because of what you've written, but there's great... Uh, photographs. Yes, I want I want to talk about Dan Dion's yeah. photography. He's an extraordinary photographer. You, anybody have been to Gotham? Yeah, that's his work exhibited at Gotham. Um, he's remarkable, and he, he came to me. He came to me, and, and uh, I had met him in Sydney, Australia. I was like, "You're the guy who does those great photographs. I love him." And, and we hit it off. And then he came to me and said, "Look, I, I want to do a book with my photography. I don't know what to do." He said, "Can we do this together?" And uh, and I said, "Yes, right away." Um, and, uh, Three years later, I was like, fuck you, man. I can't believe I'm still doing this fucking book. But um, uh, I I felt like I had to really uh, honor his photography because what his photography is, his photography is just so beautiful and so evocative and so artful. And I thought, how can the text somehow 
uh, represent that right. uh, and and that's why it, it's written the way it's written it's written uh, what I did was I didn't actually do interviews I didn't have journalistic you know Q&A stuff I just sat and talked and then had all of these conversations and I just went and took pieces of them that resonated against one another and it's this weird sort of I don't know what I can't really define the format what? of it but it was all to honor the brilliant and evocative photography of Dan did you do these interviews one on one or some of them on the phone or how did they all uh, a few of them on the phone most of them one on one a few of them on the phone um, a couple we did uh, two people together Mark Marin and, and, and Dana Gould just both happened to be at a festival in Vegas and I thought that's great to get them together because who wants to spend a, a whole afternoon with Mark Marin <laughs> the odd thing Dana Gould would be if you didn't come along so it all worked out well uh, well the book is just terrific Ben thank you, and, uh, thank and you. Uh, best of luck too with the TV show you're thank just you. going about it your own way I, I think it should be fun It's there's a lot of cool people on it's great having you put your hands together now Paul thank you guys thank you so much for